Welcome back to the Bond Revisited podcast. You are listening to part two of episode 17 where we revisit and rank Goldeneye. With General Oromov trying to track down Natalia, Bond heads to Q Branch where he starts clicking with some of his new gadgets. Join us as we take a look and eventually add Goldeneye to our rankings. But let's move on because we're getting on to Q. So <laughs> finally, come on. Finally. So yeah, straight after M um with Bond, we're now going to Bond C and Q. So I guess that's very clever in itself because you're getting a new M and then you're getting back to the familiarity of Q because whilst we do have new M's, new money pennies, new Bond, Desmond Llewellyn, he's still going. He's still here. Thank goodness. But yeah, Bond heads down to Q branch. Um and it's been, I would say it's like slightly modernized. It kind of still looks like a big room, basically, full of <laughs> junk and gadgets and things in the background. Um, but yeah, he starts to walk through and he sees Q, uh, Will, Will up to him in a, in a wheelchair, in a cast. He's got his leg cast on. And I think, I can't remember, is it fishing? It says injury fishing or something like that. And, and then the cast basically reveals itself to be a rocket launcher <laughs> and shoots this rocket and blows up something down the other end and and Q says hunting <laughs> with such such passion he loves his job he really does uh but yeah he's actually fine it's just another gadget um and we get we get bond and Q kind of going through it's the usual scene really there's nothing terribly different here i guess as i say you do need some familiarity in this film and um as Bond and, and Q walk along and we see some stuff in the background. I know later on there's like a phone booth in there that has like a balloon expand in it. And there's probably other things that I missed there going on. But uh, yeah, the Q, the car is the first one. It's a BMW this time. Uh, although I don't really ever... Is it really used? You do see it, but there's no like car chase with it. Yeah, that's an interesting. I mean, you, you do get a vehicle chase in this film. It's just not a <laughs> not a Q branch vehicle. So I, I can kind of explain that uh, after looking up about this film. Okay, so it is odd, but I believe the reason is because uh, with this kind of relaunch of Bond, they signed a three year deal to feature BMW in the franchise. So uh, like this BMW is almost like it's here because they had to get it here, but they also wanted the Aston Martin for the start of the film. But they had to get it in here, even though they didn't have a proper chase, because they needed to feature this as like Bond's official car for free films, because they signed a deal with BMW to do so. Wow, you would have thought in that contract that they would have also said, "Okay, it's got to be in the film, but it's also got to use it. It's got to like, do something. It's got, it's got, it's got to show off gadgets or something." Please <laughs> don't let Jack Wade drive it, right? No, oh, no, God. no, 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 of course not. Uh, but yeah, Q says it's been fitted out of all the usual and it's got Stinger missiles in the headlights, although we wouldn't know. So, uh, it's, you know. <laughs> What a liar. He might just be lying. <laughs> yeah, just playing a prank on Bond. Uh, but there's a few other gadgets that he shows Bond. There's, um, there's a belt that has a, like a repelling cord in it. Um, and actually, as, he's, as Q's about to say about the belt, I just love how they, they do keep some elements of the previous Bond things, you know, fiddling with gadgets on the way and basically getting told off by by Q. Uh, there's also a, a ticket, Bond's ticket to St. Petersburg, which reveals it's like on a X-ray tray. Um, the pen, of course, we have a grenade pen, which Q, Q shows off. It's a kind of a clicky biro pen looking thing and three clicks to arm. 
and then three clicks to disarm. And if you leave it four seconds, it blows up. And we even get a little demo of this. Uh, Q goes over and, and puts it on Fred, <laughs> who's, the, who's the mannequin. Sorry, Fred. Sorry, uh, Fred. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it blows up and Fred goes boom. And I love that like Q says, like, don't say it to Bond as that happens, kind of expecting the, the, uh, the gag. And yeah, Bond does go, the writing's on the wall. And they both laugh together. It's just, and I think even like you even snorts, like it's just, oh, and we said this before. We've said this in so many scenes with Bond and Q, but it's just, it's so, it's so comforting. I just love seeing Bond and Q together. And yeah, I just, the two of them laughing together and just acting like actual friends before Bond picks up the sandwich, you know, before he picks up his lunch. It's really, really nice. <laughs> before we get to the sandwich <laughs> but yeah they, they've taken a, a different i guess there's two big things about this scene the first one is that this actually i would say looks like the the q branch from goldfinger to me mm, um, that yeah. underground bunker there's a very real effort to go back to that old school sort of way yeah and again just like the roger moore stuff mostly there's a, a more classic tour of q branch where there's gags going on in the background and it's yeah, it's a little bit like Timothy Dalton, I guess, kind of had that in The Living Daylights, but this is even more classic than that. It's kind of a, a mix between Roger Moore and Sean Connery in a lot of ways. But mm. yeah, and I agree I agree with Q. They There was a big phase there where Q was just kind of just getting annoyed by Bond. And a lot of these scenes actually weren't very good because it was just Roger Moore going a bit too far with a lot of bad jokes. Q just generally being like, stop it! <laughs> um <laughs> And them trying to like mix up the formula too much. But now we've just got a more classic version and Q just genuinely liking Bond, which is what we saw in the last film with the license to kill. They kind of have started swerving a bit more towards that Q, you know, obviously gets a bit annoyed by Bond. But yeah, in this one, he just laughs along with him. Bond makes a joke and Q laughs at it. It's so nice. And I'm so glad that, especially with um, Desmond getting older, that they went this way because it just makes them so much more enjoyable and likable. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's such a smart decision to do this as the actor is aging because the whole like Q getting irritable at Bond, it works works more when they're either... uh, (laughs) similarly well i guess in both scenarios they're both similarly aged either with sean connery and q the actor of q being younger or when it was um roger moore roger moore was older so he was a little bit closer to q as well maybe not quite q's level of age but i think when you do have such a young actor like Piers brosnan having the old man just yell at him doesn't it would come off just yeah grumpy i think you said you just look grumpy and instead they're gone with this almost like grandfatherly figure of just friendly and it's a a smart smart choice yeah like he's still a little bit grumpy but it's oh yeah it's just done that's his lunch (laughs) yes don't touch his lunch come on now (laughs) so the scene ends because the whole idea with q branch is that everything's oh this is just your normal thing and but no it's actually a spy weapon or an explosive or something that's the whole idea with the pen uh, but so at the end and bond throughout this is just playing with stuff so at one point he just starts like typing on a pc and q's like are you finished <laughs> it's just like <laughs> <he wraps laughs> it up. 
Yeah. Um, so at the end, Bond just picks up a sandwich as Q is talking to him. So he's just not paying attention. Spinach this sandwich and checking it out. And he's like, don't touch that. That's my lunch. It's so good. <laughs> End scene. There yeah, you go. hard cut. <laughs> Next scene. <laughs> um, but, oh, I love that bit. I, yeah, I love this. I'm definitely a little bit biased here because, again, this is this is my James Bond. This is the film I grew up with. This is Q and Bond. And this is the relationship I expect to see. But I think even then I still enjoy it. I will just say, though, it is kind of sad because Desmond is clearly getting quite old by this point. And I noticed with his voice, it sounds yeah. quite off. Yeah. Not that he sounds bad, but he is clearly getting older. And considering that this was 1995 and the last film he was in was four years later, we are kind of starting to see that. So still a really great scene. But the fact that you can tell he's getting older also just started to make me a bit sad. And the fact that it's so nice of a scene as well made me even more sad. It's like, I don't want to watch The World Is Not Enough. Can we just skip that one? Just <laughs> I skip don't want to watch one, it. Skip that one scene. We'll just yeah, do I don't want to watch it. It's going to be far too sad, especially because we get really nice scenes like this. Yeah, that is one thing I, d- I did write down in my notes, but I didn't want to say it. So <laughs> we'll move on. Yeah, we'll move on. So, yeah, so we hard cut from Q's lunch, sadly, uh, to a British Airlines plane landing. So during that scene, we got that Q, you know, explained like, oh, we've got you a ticket to St. Petersburg to go investigate the Yanis group. Or he might not have said that, but that's what's going on. So Bond leaves the St. Petersburg airport. He sees this man standing by a car reading a newspaper. So... Bond approaches him, leans up against the car. The man doesn't really pay any attention. And Bond says, in London, April's a spring month. Off which this man just looks at him and says, what are you, the weather man? And is is very American. And is all like, ah, oh, you Brits and your passcodes, all, all uptight, yada yada, whatever. So he goes to his car and says, here's my car over here, because this is Bond's informant from the CIA. So Bond, what as they get to the car, Bond points the gun at him and saying, like, I need the passcode. Of which he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it gives it the code. But Bond says, I want to see the rose. And he's like, come on, man. I don't, I don't want to show that. And he's like, no, I need to see it. So he agrees. And he, like, undoes his trousers and his belt, pulls it down a bit. And then we get a zoom in, or not a zoom in, but a very zoomed in shot of the man's waist. And we see a rose tattoo with Muffy on top (laughs) yeah yeah so that's the rose and that was enough to convince bond that he's who he is he is who he introduces himself as jack wade from the cia and it's definitely worth noting is that this is the same actor that played brad whitaker in the living daylights Hmm. just the same same dude (laughs) yeah and and kind of very no i don't know it doesn't act the same way i mean it's a different character but you know, the way he speaks, it's just the same guy. Like, it is just the same guy. It's straight up the same guy, but I definitely like him more here because he plays the same character, kind of, without the Hitler stuff. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but, like, I think he's, he's like he was a very happy-go-lucky American in The Living Daylight, and he's kind of the same here. Mm. But as, like, a, a CIA agent bouncing off Bond, I think it works way better, his, his approach as a as an ally rather than a an enemy i'm guessing the reason why they didn't use felix here is because of the previous film having felix quite a lot yes i think they needed to 
move away from that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But I okay. think it's a really good replacement. I actually ended up quite liking Jack Wade. I yeah. I think it works quite well. Yeah. So we see Natalia getting off a train at the train station. So this film cuts between two scenes quite a lot, but as we kind of already explained, it's also a film that takes its time. So when it does do that, unlike the John Glenn films, it's not really confusing. It's just showing two things kind of happening at once and tying them together very smartly. So Natalia has arrived. So then we go back to Jack and Bond and Jack's crappy little blue car is broken down. So at this point, he's trying to fix it and Bond starts asking him about, what do you know about the Yanis group? What's going on with the Yanis group? And Jack says, I don't know anything about Yanis, but I know he's, he's very well connected. And this is someone that you don't find. He's going to find you. And all through this, Jack starts calling him like Jimmy and Jimbo. <laughs> Jim Bob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like he starts calling him James, but then he just switches like, ah, have me the sled, Jimbo. <laughs> Which I always enjoyed. But So, yeah, he, he has the sledgehammer and he tries to fix it. And he then mentions saying, if you want to find Yanis, you don't want to find him directly or you won't be able to. Instead, you want to find his rival, a man called uh, Valentin Sokoski, I think. Mm, yeah Valentin Sikorsky so he's an ex-KGB agent because aren't all Russians in this film I guess um, yeah, yeah I guess so <laughs> yeah so he's a, a rival kind of gang leader who is up against Yanis and then he explains oh he's someone you know you can't miss him he's moody guy who's got a limp and Bond he's like oh do you know the guy already because Bond seems to recognize the name and Bond's like I'm the one who gave him the limp oh yeah so then we go back to natalia who enters this computer shop at first i was confused about what this was but you do see a big old like ibm logo on the front (laughs) but this is like when computers weren't super common so it's kind of treated with a lot more like nowadays you go to what curries and pc world and just (laughs) you can get them anyway but this is like more of a fancy shop that supplies all these high-tech computers and she goes up to the guy in there who's working there and says, is this all you have? I need a lot of computers. And she lists all these different computers that she needs and these very high numbers. And the guy's all like, oh, you know, at an oh, a big order. Very well. Very good, sir. Very good. So offers her a, a demonstration or like, does Madame need a demonstration? I think it is. And she's like, Madame does. <laughs> uh, so she then cut we cut to Boris and we see that Boris is set up somewhere else completely on a computer and Natalia is having the demonstration but she's by herself so they're messaging back and forth she says oh the general's a traitor and took the golden eye of which Boris returns saying oh you're not safe come and meet me at this this church later on so yeah I guess I'll go on to the next one the next scene uh, I guess, yeah, it kind of leads just, yeah. This is all, yeah, a lot of this is story stuff. And again, it's pretty solid stuff, but there's not too much to say. This is just Natalia having her, the most notable thing is that, as Joe said before, there's usually kind of two stories going on here. Natalia has been established as like a main character and we've seen her backstory and now we are seeing her story carry out while Bond is also having his story carry out. But it's quite mm. nice that both of them take place in St. Petersburg, just in different areas of it. yeah. So we then get a, a little bit of a awkward thing here where Bond and Jack are driving to go and meet up with Valentine, but we get like voiceover of them talking. 
which I thought was a very odd choice. Right, a little bit of ADR, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because we're like, seeing the car pull up, but it's just like they've just dubbed it completely of them talking. Where it's like, why are you get? Why are you going to do this? He's just going to kill you. And Bond's like, oh, I'll appeal to his wallet. And Jack's like, well, that might work. It's not. It's not a big deal, but it felt a little bit off. I don't think we really needed that. It, that's clearly it's like maybe uh, test screenings, and they got some feedback that they didn't quite follow what Bond was doing. And I mean, even even with that, the whole thing he gets onto with the whole funeral plan, I didn't really understand it. So maybe that was just there to try and really spell it out that he's going to try and get Tukovsky with money. Yes, because to be fair, that is a little bit confusing. But yeah, that's just to hammer that home. So Jack drops him off in this kind of outside the CD bar. And then we go back to Natalia, where she's arriving at a church, the church that she agreed to meet Boris at, and goes inside, and it's quite a big church with a stupid amount of candles. But it's all very quiet, nobody's really around. And she sees an old woman praying. And at this point we see, like, I think the wind or something, like, shuts the door. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's very kind of horror movie-esque, like cheesy yeah, it's horror. weirdly dramatic, this. So mm. she's in the middle of the church, sees the door shut and starts, like, panicking, and there's, like, zoom-ins on her face. So she runs away, and they quickly shoot or have a shot of the old woman, like, looking at her. I guess, I don't know what the deal with her was, but um, she runs into Boris. So Boris meets her, and she's f- freaking out because she's paranoid that maybe somebody's there. And he's like, it's Boris, it's Boris, it's Boris. So she calms down. But then behind Boris is on a top. See, on a top is there. So we then fade away before we see what happens next. So we're now back in uh, Zukovsky's headquarters. I don't know what it is exactly, but he's there. Uh, I think it sounds, it looked like so there was the kind of aftermath of a shootout or something that happened. I don't know what he says exactly. Oh, I but, didn't pick up on that, but it is uh, yeah. meant to be a very run-down, not-great place. Yeah, he's, he's walking away from something anyway and is complaining about free market economy, something like that anyway. Uh, and as he walks through the door, um, Bond is there. Bond is kind of hidden behind the door and has his gun now pointed at the back of Zukovsky's head. Zukovsky, by the way, obviously played uh, by Robbie Coltrane and I think goes a long way in making this character so so good. But yeah, um, with the gun to the back of his head, like he he kind of feels what it is and knows on the clicks or, you know, the, uh, the sounds of it and knows it's a Walther PPK and he only knows of three men that use such a gun and believe I've killed two of them. So he recognises it's Bond. It's just a nice little introduction there uh, between the two characters and they eventually, well, then one of Zukovsky's henchmen um, point a gun at Bond and put him in his place uh, and sit him down on a, on a seat nearby and you get so i'm not going to do the scene justice i feel like because there's a lot of good dialogue here and i didn't write any of it down to be honest maybe you did in terms of quotes but the scene with yeah zukovsky is there sitting uh talking to bond and he's got his goons behind him and you've got uh these women singing on stage behind as this is going on singing this really like terribly singing this version of stand by your man uh in like cowboy boots and cowboy hats and everything and yeah Zukovsky at first is there just kind of making fun of Bond um and because Bond says something along the lines of like who strangled the cat and he's like strangled the because I guess doesn't get the phrase and then realizes he's talking about the lady on the stage and 
that's his mistress. <laughs> uh, very talented girl. But uh, I like how he even tells her, like, take a hike. And she does like that arm gesture to him. <laughs> yeah, the <up> yours. <laughs> it's, yeah, up, exactly. It's just, it is kind of silly, but I think in this setting it works because Robbie Goltrain, he's very, um, he's not a very like, at least in these films, he's not a serious role. He's quite a comedic character, Zukovsky. Because uh, he does come back again. And um, you don't really ever get a sense of threat. They're more like equals in this scene because, yeah, there is back, there's history between the two of these characters, as we've already sort of found out. But um, Bond is there basically to ask for a favour. He wants to get connected to Yanis, um, as we know. And Zukovsky asks about... Uh, why Why would he help him out, given what Bond did to him and shot him in the knee and it hurts every winter? And again, there's like kind of more comedic stuff of one of the goons not knowing what to say. Um, and eventually the scene, this scene moves on with, I can't remember what Bond says, but he, he angers Zukovsky and then like, so he shoots either side of him on the, on the seat. And at the last minute, as he's about to shoot in a certain area of Bond, um, Bond sort of like blurts out this line about funeral, a funeral parlor. This is where I, I kind of lost track a little bit. Going to be honest with you. Um, we know that Bond is there to get connected to Yanis and he's going to do that through money. So the scene then moves into Zukovsky's office and he, Bond is there explaining this plan about a man goes in with explosives and there's money traded. And then I didn't really follow this at all to be honest with you. No, it has nothing to do with anything. And it's almost like treated that way because you start the scene of them in the office halfway through the explanation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess the idea is, is that it's just Zukovsky's going to get some money at the end of this. So that's that's why he should help Bond. Um, and Bond's there uh, trying to uh, explain why he wants to be connected with Yanis about um, how he's stole, a, you know, stole the nuclear missile, he killed innocent Russians... Um, which then leads on to Tukovsky talking about uh, his Cossack history, Lien's Cossack. And there's a little bit of a history lesson here um, where well, Bond starts to explain it, but then for the audience, it's it's about how the Cossacks were this group that fought alongside the Nazis in World War II against the Russians. And long story short, I mean, it already is quite short in the film, but uh, at the end of the war, they surrendered to the British, hoping that they would... Um, then go against the communist regime and then the British betrayed them and sent them back to Stalin where most of them were killed and they were, you know, were shot. So in, uh, in Zukovsky's uh, opinion, you know, Yanis uh, isn't, isn't a nice guy, but no. and it does come up later on, but not really. Uh, well, no, it, it does, it's important. It, no, it, for, it does. It does come up a lot, actually. <laughs> Take yeah, that it's back. very yeah. important for Yanis and his backstory. So this is us getting, a little bit of a backstory, but like you say, it's a history lesson. So this is all true, apparently. <laughs> yeah. There was yeah. this group of people who worked with the Nazis again in Russia, and the British did portray them. So I guess that's kind of neat. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, it's interesting that it's quite complicated for what it needed to be. And this is kind of the part of the plot that I just kind of ignore. Like it's important, but if you really kind of think about it too much, it's kind of probably more complicated than it should have been. But it's... You know, again, you can just, it's just motivation for Yanis at the end of the day. And there's other motivation for Yanis. So you don't have to worry too much about this. 
Yeah, he has a lot of motivation, the the villain in this film. Uh, this this whole scene ends with um, Bond setting up a meeting at the Grand Hotel, or at least he says it's like a fake meeting. Basically, it's it's, it's a way to to lead Yanis to to Bond, who will be at the the hotel that night, and then eventually somehow. Zukovsky will get a favour out of Yanis, is the idea behind it, or something along those lines. I don't know. The scene ends. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, going back to the Zukovsky, uh, the Valentin stuff, that's, yeah, that comedy stuff is surprisingly solid as well. It's it's also nice where you get that built-in history between the two people. I kind of complained about it a little bit in the Timothy Dalton era, where everyone just kind of knows Bond, and he has this history, but... I don't know, there's something about the way it does it in this film that I buy it a little bit more. I couldn't really explain fully, but I feel like it's because they don't waste time on minor characters. Like, it doesn't feel quite as silly. It does feel a little bit more that that these two characters are... Well, first of all, that these are both proper characters. It's not just somebody like a one-off. And that there is this history there. Like, they just do a lot better job with that. And again, Robbie... um, Cold Rain does a brings a lot to the role as well, but yes, yeah, some of these jokes are just genuinely really funny. Like it's hilarious when he's mocking Bond and saying like, "Hey, 007 here in my bar. What what do you want to have a drink? Vodka martini, shaken but not stirred." And then just laughs. He loves it. But <laughs> everyone, really like him and his goons, just laugh at Bond because of his stupid <laughs> drink choice. Um, but then you also have like other lines where you know when he's talking about his knee and it aches every day and it aches much worse in the winter and the Russians winter. Oh, they last a while. Then he's like, tell him Dmitri to one of his henchmen. Then Dmitri starts being like, yeah, the winters are really long, and he's just like, silence. <laughs> it just shuts him up. <laughs> It's just such an entertaining presence. It's um, it's surprising how much like these are so pure jokes. Like this is like as you say, more of a comedy character than you would expect. But it's like surprisingly strong how how much these jokes actually do work. And this is one of the scenes as a kid I didn't really like because I was just like, oh, the one with the woman who couldn't sing good. But now I can kind of much more appreciate the back and forth between these two. Uh, it, it, it's very entertaining. It is, it is. I think Robbie Coltrane, the fact it's him, just helps so much. I'm not saying the scene would have been impossible to do with another actor, but, you know, he does have comedic chops and it really shows through in this scene. Uh, And there's just something about that guy. I mean, it's sad that he passed away not too long ago. Uh, It's just so likeable. I mean, there's a reason why everyone loves Hagrid, right? It's just just a nice guy and he works really well, even though he's meant to be (laughs) like a KGB guy or an ex-KGB it's uh, it's all good. It's all good. He's all right in my book. Hmm. So Bond has set up that he's at the hotel uh, in that evening. And so we see him in the hotel. He's in the swimming pool in this very, very fancy, ornate swimming pool. He has the whole place to himself, or at least it looks like it at first, uh, kind of surrounded by columns. Um, it's kind of circular. or It's like a yeah. Roman bath is what I got. Very Roman kind of yeah. spa bath vibes. Yeah, very much so. And he's uh, having a little swim. Um, and you do see like a sort of shadowy figure uh, entering the room as he's there swimming, and he gets out, starts to dry himself off in the towel, walks past uh, these columns on the side, and then very quickly just grabs someone that he knew was clearly there the whole time, Um, and it's on a top. She's back (laughs) for more of the same, basically. Um, He's there, he's got his gun pointed at her, and... uh, 
I think she says like, you know, you won't need this, you won't need that gun. And he says, it depends on what your definition of safe sex is, because we've seen what she does. Um, and clearly he knows as well. So she starts uh, trying to sort of like, I would say seduce, but that's not the right word. She just goes straight for him and knocks the gun out of his hand and kisses him, bites him. And then just starts whacking him, basically, like whacking him around. He keeps going to try and pick up the gun and she kicks him down or kicks him onto the the, the bed in this little room next door. It's like a sauna room. Um, and yeah, he's he's not doing too great uh, at one point. Uh, she's got him in, in the typical in the, the grip that we've seen before with that admiral where between between her thighs, he's struggling to breathe and you know, it looks like he's suffocating. Although now I can't remember how he gets out of that. Well, that it's the old sauna, Coles. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because then she's sort of wrapped around his his waist, and so he can move her around because he's standing up, and so he sits her down on like the hot plate of this sauna room, which burns her and lets her lets her loose. There's this other guy that comes in at one point and tries to hit Bond, and he throws a bucket over him. Yeah, I don't know who the other guy was, but uh, he eventually overpowers and demands to go see, uh, or demands that she go take him to go see Yanis. It's a very quick scene, um, but we just need to get to the next scene, basically. Yeah, this is another one where I remember not liking it as a kid because I was very confused by it. (laughs) But um, yeah, as you say, it's kind of all very quick. It's that same sort of thing we've seen before. But this time, rather than Bond being killed by Onatop, he manages to overpower her. And I feel like there's almost a little bit of comedy in here with the way Bond just like flips her, (laughs) like flips her onto the thing. She's like, ah, then the guy comes (laughs) in, he just throws the boiling water on him. Like there's... I don't know if it was meant to be comedic, but it felt funny. It's just funny seeing someone get flipped in such a silly way. Mm. Yeah, and although the thing I never really got is that Bond doesn't... It just seems like Bond didn't really take it very seriously. <laughs> no. I guess I guess he doesn't want to kill her or anything like that or actually injure her. So it's sort of just toying along for a while until we can get the upper hand but yeah like the garni is like slowly reaching for the gun and then she pushes him out of the way it's just kind of strange but you know he eventually gets what he needs uh from it yeah but yeah it, it's odd that it's kind of meant to be more a little bit more comedy than you would expect but as you say there's like this power dynamic going on between them and there's this thing about the pleasure being all his. I don't know if they say that line here. Oh, yeah, maybe. Because yeah. each time they meet, Bond kind of gets the upper hand. I guess not so much with the the race at the beginning, but also, but you know, when they play at the casino, he wins. And now this time he wins. And that very much frustrated her. So I quite like that power dynamic that these two kind of have, which is Bond usually on top. But obviously, clearly, she's very much a worthy kind of foe and also a bit crazy so i think that's that's quite neat how that plays out throughout the film she can't handle bond being on top she's on a top she's on a she top. needs to be on the top she she can't lose <laughs> it's right there it's right there it's in the name so this thing quickly cuts or straight away cuts to a car showing up somewhere at night and we see on a top is driving and she's very mad she's very not happy and bond is in the back and pointing a gun at her, and he leans forward, and he's all big smiley, being like, well, I must say, I had a lovely evening. 
<laughs> I love I love how he says that line. It's oh, it's very uh, Roger Moore. That grin. He's just loving it. That's what I was really surprised about Piers Brosnan. How much he can actually pull off that Roger Moore style of comedy. It's not something I ever really think of, but he doesn't do it all the time. Definitely not as much as Roger, but yeah, he can do that. He can do that kind of sarky, full of himself, oh, yeah. Yeah, smug yeah. kind of joke. It's kind of, it's great. It's really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think she either swears or just says, ah, whatever. And we get a very odd moment here where Bond then gets super angry in his face and like karate chops her and knocks her out. And he's like, sweet dreams. But there was something always off about the way Pierce Brosnan was like, like super like mad. You you can't do a judo chop without looking angry. Yeah, I guess. Believe you me. Could, yeah. I tried. Wait, what? Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> it didn't work. Ah. You've investigated this thoroughly. And it can't be done. Uh yeah, but yeah. Always a little bit of an odd moment, but yeah, knocks her out and she's just passed out there. So Bond gets out and sees the Tiger helicopter nearby. And we get a very atmospheric scene here where it's like a a statue graveyard, I guess is the best way I can describe this. It's all similar to what we saw in the intro, the, the opening kind of sequence or with the, yeah, the intro credits where... It's all the destroyed Soviet symbols and statues. We now kind of get like a real version of it where it just feels like this graveyard of all these kind of symbols and statues that are all kind of destroyed or like separated. One's a giant hand, one is a full person and Bond starts walking around. Doesn't know what's going on. He gets his gun out, starts looking and again, very slow pace this as he, lots of tension here as he's trying to see what's going on. And we also get a little bit of Russian chanting when he looks at some of the statues, which did take me out of it a little bit. It's like, I don't think you needed that at all. Yeah, it's kind of ghostly sound. And I guess it sort of matches what is about to happen. But it did it did stand out a bit, yeah. Yeah, they could have taken that out. The visuals are really strong here. This is, just like the rest of the film, the set design's really good. And this is just a really unique, odd place that he's found himself in. But just a ton of atmosphere and character. So... Eventually, he hears someone go, hello, James. And we see a man who's all hidden. There's like a light behind him, but you can't see him properly. And it looks like it's Yanis. And Yanis steps forward. And it's Alec. What? It's 006, back from the dead. Oh, no. Yeah, so... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> this can't be good. Surely not. Just you in the cinema watching this. Oh, oh, come on. It's looking around to everyone else in the cinema. Are you, are you seeing this? What's going on? Back from the dead? No. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, so it, obnoxious. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's Alec. But we see a lot of burned faces. Like half of his face is very burnt. And we see Bond is visibly shocked, visibly kind of taken aback. As much as Bond can be, he's not like, <gasps> but, but he's like, <gasps> goodness. Oh my. Are you seeing this? <laughs> I would have liked to have seen that. 
Come on, Bond, emote. <laughs> I need more from you, Bond. <laughs> but no, so he's uh, very kind of distraught by it. Like his kind of his expression drops a bit. He's not quite as serious. So he kind of very quickly is like, why? He kind of straight away wants to know why. And we get a little bit from Alex saying about, oh, we were... Oh, did you ever think about all the people we killed or the missions we were on and you know what it was what was it all for it's all very vague this um it's a bit loose to be honest this explanation it, but it's not the real explanation so he then says ah james bond you're the loyal terrier of the british secret service i think he calls him so then alex says put away the gun james it's uh insulting to think that i haven't anticipated all of your moves and what you're going to do here so bond at that point does lower the gun so now they're just two guys standing there bond says oh i trusted you i trusted alec but alec is i think bond then says about how he's coming from that group that i can't remember the name of oh the cossacks the cossacks yeah i think at this point because bond found out from uh Sukoski that he's a, a cossack so he's already put it together on his head. They don't, they kind of like, yeah, Bond figures a lot of stuff out on his head, but they don't really explain it to you, but it's still quite easy to follow, which is like, that's just good filmmaking. But but yeah, mm. so Alec is saying how MI6 knew of my back- background, but both me and you, we're both orphans. And then he says, well, your parents, Bond, died in a climbing accident, but my parents, the Cossacks, was betrayed by the British and killed by the russians in by stalin i think he might have said and at this point bond then puts it together saying that's why you're called janice because you're the the two-faced god so you're actually kind of playing two roles here hence the janice reference and alec explains that the reason why i have this face because it's it's not just him playing two different roles it's also his face is burnt Uh, but he's saying this face comes from the fact that bond set the timer to only be three minutes so that's why he was able to not escape without any scars. So Alec then says, I, you know, we were friends. So I thought about asking you to join me on this bond, but I knew your loyalty is always to the mission and never your friend. And then Alec says, last, oh, uh, I think, I can't remember exactly what he says, but he's like, last call, which is exactly what he said to him nine years ago in the mission. And Bond then pulls up the gun, but... Bond is shot in the neck with a dart and collapses and Alec end by saying for England, James. And oh, so many of these lines by Alec are sketched into my head forever. Like they they have a completely different sound and feel to me for some of these just because I they're so burnt into my head. Like when Bond is pointing the gun and he's like, come on, James, like and asking him to put that gun away. Like that's so burnt into my head. I just love the acting between these two there's some clear emotion here and you get a lot of information but obviously it's two ex-agents so they're not they're gonna crying and hugging it out or whatever or saying you betrayed me it's not high emotions but these two both are very good at still betraying those emotions under the surface and you get a little bit of smile from bond sometimes as they're talking because there's like this real relationship and bond between them but of course it's all kind of ended a bit in tragedy so it's and the fact that it looks amazing is, oh, it's another really great scene, guys. It's another really great scene. I really like the setting. I like the creepy uh, statue graveyard, which is what I also called it. It is a statue graveyard. I love the smoke, foggy. Um, I love the reveal 
of uh, Yanis as Alec. And I like the principles behind this and and all the dialogue. I just don't like Sean Bean. Oh. <laughs> Which is kind of a big deal. Yeah, um, that doesn't help. I, I really like the character, but I just don't... I, it's There's a few things about it, about the character. First of all, I don't like a lot of his lines, which is funny saying how so many of them are burned into your brain. To yeah. me, a lot of the lines are cringy. And now and I was trying to work out. I mean later on we do sign up we we kind of realize that the character is a bit of a a dweeb. Um so I was trying to work out is that intentional? Are they meant to be kind of lame sounding lines to me? <laughs> or is it just the way it's being acted? And I think it might just be the way that it's being delivered by Sean Bean. Just a, I just don't like his voice. I it, to me it sounds kind of like pantomime villain the way he's he delivers his lines I, I like all the lines he says i just don't like the way he says them i can understand that and yeah again there is some question marks about alec later in the film for me with where this goes but i think the unique and odd delivery i i'm too biased to be honest like yeah i'm gonna say i really like it and some of that stuff because it's more unique and a little bit odd and not quite as you expected to me that what is what makes them really stand out and like when i hear them i really enjoy it because like oh yeah this cadence and the way he says it like it's it's just etched into my head but mm. i can i completely hold my hands up and saying that might just be me being biased and if this was the first i'm hearing or watching this film you totally might be like yeah he's saying these things in kind of an odd way like that is kind of odd but i like i like that that to me is kind of what i enjoy but yep again hold my hands up a little bit biased here I enjoyed it, but yeah, it's not. This definitely could have been done in a different way that maybe would have been a little bit more serious, I suppose. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I'm probably in the minority here with this opinion, though. I think a lot of people like this this character and the way Sean Bean is in it. I, I think maybe it's just, yeah, maybe I am in the minority with it. And that's, I, it's fine. I mean, as I say, I like, it doesn't ruin the film at all. There's so many other parts of this film that I really like. Um, and there is even still parts of, of Alec that I, I like as well. It's just, um, I wish some of the lines I think would, would have been really cool to me if they were delivered in a slightly different way, but that's all. Um, yeah, Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. I think that's completely fair. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess the idea of this, as you say, is really strong and really cool. I think they do a lot with a little here where again, it's not that long of a scene, but you get so much info here and, it really establishes the relationship and history that these two have. Something I always got confused at when I was younger, and it makes sense to me now, is about the whole three-minute thing. Because the idea here, and I don't think they ever explicitly say it, again, this scene kind of Bond figures a lot out and they kind of just go on that. They don't really take that much time to explain every detail, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But the idea is that Alec, I think, was deliberately working with General Oromov or Colonel Oromov at the time to fake his own death during that operation. And the the plan was to fake his own death with him and then go and defect and bugger off and everyone would think he's dead in the explosion. But Bond somewhat ruined that plan 
by lowering the timer from six minutes to three minutes, which means he was still able to escape, but he had less time to do so, so his face got burnt. Yeah, old Two-Face over there. Old old addict Two-Face. But yeah, that's something that, like, that's part of the film, but I don't think they ever explicitly explain it, which, again, isn't a bad thing. But I definitely remember watching this film when I was younger and not understanding that and finding the face thing a bit weird. Yeah, it's a it's a good um, it's a good visual though. I mean, not every villain has to have a, uh, a gimmick, but half a burned face is quite a good one. Yeah, it's a good visual. It's a little on the nose, and especially when you got like Two Face and stuff like that. But the Yanis name is pretty cool, and the ties to the Two Face God is pretty cool. Oh yeah, and I like that they give Alec Alec as a Double O Six agent looks different to Alex as a traitor ex agent. That is very smart. So I like that. Um, but maybe they could have done this in a different way. But yeah, it, it works thematically in the concept. So I won't complain. You know, watching this again and seeing the whole, oh yeah, half his face is disfigured. I feel like if they did something like that now, they would have also changed his voice. They would have had like, they would have given him some creepy voice. I'm glad they didn't. That is, well, I, I, as I, said, I don't love his voice, but I'm glad they didn't change it. Um, but yeah, I could just see them doing something like with like a, I don't know, he's got like some weird thing that helps him breathe now and it's, they just go a bit too much with it, you know, but I like how they just have a bit of prosthetics. He's a little bit burned. We'll leave it there. Yeah, I think, you think you have no time to die by any chance? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean, but yeah, they still keep him as being like a proper agent or at least you can, yeah, he, he's still a normal dude. He just burnt. Yeah. A little exactly. bit crispy. <laughs> a little bit charred. He's still good. He's still good. <laughs> so after Bond had been shot with a dart gun, uh, we have a very, I mean, talk about like a hard cut, um, screaming. We have uh, Natalia screaming, wake up, wake up, uh, as it's revealed that the two of them are tied up in the helicopter. Is it? The, I guess it's the same one that we saw earlier on. Yeah, um, so yeah, it's the tiger helicopter. The There's tiger. a reason for it, but yeah, this is the tiger helicopter. But then, how did the others get? How did Alec leave? Maybe he just, you know, made his own way. <laughs> He's still walking. It took <laughs> ages. <laughs> but yeah, they're tied up in this helicopter, uh, and Bond kind of comes to from all the screaming uh, from Natalia to wake up and spots that there is some sort of timer counting down to a missile launch on the screens in front of him uh, and Natalia screaming to uh, help get us out. And Bond says, I'm a little tied up. Uh, although it doesn't really take much to get out of the situation. So basically, yeah, very stressful. The time is going down. The missiles from the helicopter, like it sort of starts to power up and the missiles launch. But then instead of going to a target, they actually loop back around and the target is the helicopter itself. So they're going to get blown up. So what do they do? Well, thankfully, there's this escape uh, eject button <laughs> not that far away from Bond. So he uses his head to headbutt it next to him. Um, I guess there was skill in the timing of it because uh, he presses that button and this whole sort of pod from the helicopter, like the seats with him and Natalia, fly up um, just as the missiles uh, hit the helicopter and that blows up there in the sky the parachutes open and they can float back down kind of i don't know i guess they yeah they needed to get to the the next scene of of what happens but 
it's very it's very in your face like you're literally Natalia just screaming is the cut to the next scene yeah I kind of like it though because we had such a quiet kind of scene they needed something mm. after that and I appreciate they didn't have Bond like wallow or anything it was just straight away like he's got to react and just go which is what Bond you know normally does so I like that they yeah it's a very simple scene but I think the visual of it's quite cool and seeing the missiles get fired and then knowing that like they've only got 10 seconds left after seeing the missiles go adds a nice tension to it Um, but yeah I think it's more like a a gear shift after the last scene to kind of get us going again it really is you saying about Bond wallowing after what happened can we just cut in the beach scene here? <laughs> it's like just looking out. <laughs> oh, I miss Alec, the old Alec. <laughs> anyway, um, once the pod lands oh, in the parachute... Oh, sorry, can we, get, can we get the beach scene but edit in the audio of Natalia screaming, wake up, <laughs> hurry up! <laughs> He's and just then, yeah. staring, not, not paying attention. And then we do like a wavy dream effect and then they're back in the helicopter. There you go. See, just, ah. it all works. It all works. <laughs> they, the pod lands and they get out. Uh, Natalia goes to run off and Bond grabs her. But before they can really do too much, there's a ton of Russian troops enter the scene on, in jeeps and everything and they, they quickly get arrested and taken to prison or some sort of prison cell anyway. Yeah, I think a very small detail about this scene that I quite like where, that you can miss, but... Is that the whole point here is that they have carried out the plan with the helicopter, so they need to destroy the evidence. So they decide to try and kill Bond and Natalia in that at the same time. Oh my god, I completely missed that. Yeah, like it's very multi it's very James Bond villain. It's actually quite classic Bond villain because they just leave them to it and go. But it is kind of multi purpose. Like, yeah, the whole point is that they're destroying the evidence. So let's just throw Bond and Natalia in there, who is also evidence, um, especially Natalia, because they know what happened. Wow, so many layers here. So many layers. I'm impressed, truly. Uh, that sounds cool. sarcastic, but no, that is actually good. I completely missed that. Um, so yeah, we're in this uh, prison cell now. It's a very cinematic prison cell. Like It looks great. It's just a prison cell, right? It's just a lot of stone and things, but the lighting through the the bars, it's very um, intense. Uh, but yeah, Bond and Natalia are put in there, and we have a little scene between just the two of them where Bond is, is basically trying to gain Natalia's trust somewhat and, and ask what is going on, what does she know about the situation, what what happened at the base in Sevenaya, um, who who killed everyone. Uh, who was the traitor because that's that's how this all started with with them spotting her on the on the screen is is who was the insider and um she starts to explain about boris because of all the stuff that happens in the church she now knows boris was the insider the one that was connected with oromov and and on top lots of o's in this film Mm. (laughs) um uh so yeah bond basically asks her to trust him even though she doesn't even know his name and you think are you going to get a Bond James Bond? But no, not the time. Not the time for that. Come on now. They're in prison here. Um, and the defence minister then comes into the, the cell, who is kind of very quick to to be like, what sort of, what method of execution would you like? And, and Bond's A. Oh, what happens to the good old interrogations, A? Eh? Uh, very very jovial in this uh, No chit-chat. This scene. <laughs> no chit-chat. Um, but yeah, the, the defence minister's there asking about Goldeneye. 
and um, like where is it, like what happened to it sort of thing. I guess thinking that Bond is behind it all. But then um, Bond starts talking about traitors and they start bickering and they start talking over each other and yelling and Natalia sort of loses her temper and just tells them to shut up, basically. Uh, boys and their toys or something along those lines. Boys with toys. Boys with toys. And yeah. explains that it was it was Oromov. Uh, she saw him do it and that there's also uh, another satellite uh, that they didn't know of, another GoldenEye satellite in orbit, which obviously uh, panicked the... The, the minister who was asking about that before at the big table. And just so happens that Oromov comes into the room <laughs> as he finds this out, uh, kind of rushing in, panting, um, panicking, basically uh, kind of worried about what they've told him already. But um, yeah, it, the minister kind of already already knows by this point now. And I think he starts to... I can't remember what exactly is the trigger for this, but he, Oromov does eventually shoot him, but I don't know how. I can't yeah, it now. is just like, yeah, I think he's saying, oh, I need to find out what's going on. And I think Miskin then turns to Oromov who's like, oh, it turns, I think it is you who is uh, like out of order or something. <laughs> like he, he heavily implies he knows what's going on in which Oromov then decides he needs to to act because he, he knows. Right, okay. So then, yeah, he just, um, I guess there was a, there was a gun on the table. Was it Bond's gun? Yeah, it's disarmed? Bond's PPK. Yeah, so he, he grabs that and shoots the minister and the guard behind him um, and says about, oh, yeah, goes to sort of frame this as Bond because he's using Bond's gun. So so uh, Bond killed the agent and that. And then they were killed in, in trying to escape. And as, they're about, oh, as he's about to do that, uh, Bond sort of... Um, takes uh i think he like pushes him into a wall or something like that or like the door opens and takes it as an opportunity to get the upper hand uh, and grabs a gun from one of the guards or one of the guards the dead body i think and grabs natalia and they escape into this facility um yeah, <laughs> this, oh, this whole scene's a bit of a blur until we get to the tank chase. To be honest with you, <laughs> like, but already so much of that stuff is so good. It's it's another one for me where so much of that dialogue is just burnt into my brain. The no small talk, no chit chat, <laughs> and Natalia being like, "Ah, oh, you're like boys with toys." It's just, <laughs> I love every part of this scene, and we get some more like stand down between Miskin and uh, General Orobov, and just or it was so cool. I mean, I loved it when I was younger and I love it now of Oromov does the same thing that Zorin did where he's coming up with a story in his head and is explaining it out loud. But this time, rather than being the over the top Christopher Walken thing, it's more like quiet and like under his breath where he's like he's had to just shoot Miskin to cover this up. But he's realized he's done it with Bond's gun. So he then just starts saying to him, he starts explaining the story to himself like British agent shoots defense minister trying to escape and the fact that he like cleans the gun and then throws it to bond and bond just catches it and puts it to his side that's so cool <laughs> uh, wow well, so, yeah okay I, I, so I, much, I, yeah it's so much character in those moments and bond kind of going along with this story as ormov is setting it up but bond then does just escape it, it's so i love general ormov he's my favorite <laughs> It's so he adds so much to every scene he's in. 
Yeah, you're getting a lot more of this character than I did, and I'm sad. <laughs> sad. You've yeah, got to watch a lot this film like five more times, and then you right. get it. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Yeah, I mean, I did like the actor um, that plays Oromov. I do like the character, but yeah, I didn't. I kind of missed all these little bits, to be honest with you. Yeah, that, yeah. Again, you need like a lot of this stuff for me is stuff I noticed when I watched it a lot as a kid. So seeing it now that I'm older, it's like, oh, yay! <laughs> like it, it all just <laughs> comes flooding back. Yeah. So Bond is now on the rampage. So he's like kind of knocked down the general in the room and some guards, and he picks up one of the machine guns. That's something I noticed in this film as well. There's two. There's two things I noticed actually with the shooting. First of all, a lot of people are murdered. There's gun down. Like, gun yeah. down, like, relentlessly throughout the entire film. But mm. also we see Bond in a lot of situations pick up machine guns and stuff. Like, this is not... Like, Bond has his PPK, but for the most part, he just picks up, like, whatever Soviet machine gun is nearby. So most of the times that Bond is actually firing his gun, and Alec as well, it's just like a... Like, yeah, it's like a Soviet machine gun instead. Yeah. I guess... Uh... That was very good for making a video game out of it. Well, yeah, it helps. But no, <laughs> yeah, it's very <laughs> different. It's Bond with a machine gun mowing down people down, which we don't normally see. It's a very different approach. I think, yeah, there's been the whole casual approach to death in other Bond films that people would mention, but this might be kind of the most intense we've seen it because it's just, they're all soldiers, to be fair. But yeah, it's Bond with a machine gun running through and being like, bang, 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 like shooting everyone um, and actually to get out of there. Mm. But yeah, so he's escaping with Natalia. They're they're all running through, and oh my god, the music that plays here is like my favorite. It's like I don't know if I would say it's better than the A Few to a Kill soundtrack or uh, Moonrakers, but this is another one that's just etched into my brain. That little melody there, the dirt, like that. We hear it a few times. We hear it at the end of the film as well. I, I love it. It's one of my, it's like a top three, top five, whatever part of a soundtrack of any Bond film for me, right up there with a few to kill Moonraker oh. and eventually Skyfall. Okay. I I'm guessing it didn't it make well. much of an impression on you, Joe. <laughs> I can't remember it very well. <laughs> okay, <no. laughs> to, to me, it's like, it's the first time we hear it and it's somewhat like the action kind of soundtrack for the action piece of music for the film because it's used in multiple ones and hearing this during this was like so excited to hear it because i find it really catchy really gets in my head but i it's so iconic to this film but also it's not like a synthy atmospheric thing you know it's it's more melody driven but it, it feels a little bit more like a classic part of a score that you would expect i don't know if it is stringed instruments but i want to say it is you don't remember it, so I don't know why I'm asking you. Um. <laughs> I really, yeah, I'm. Is is it a bit more John Barry esque in this sense then? Rather, it's than not the... quite that. It's still. I don't think anything in this film is John Barry esque, to be honest. Okay, but it's definitely heading more into that melody, exciting thing. But it's awesome. It's what you hear at the ending as well. Like you hear it like three times in the film. Oh, okay. I still so, yeah, so remember lo- it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe you'll remember it later. But yeah, Maybe lots of guards it. being killed. They they kind of break into this big archive, this big library area. So it goes from very action-packed, very loud, very big kind of music, action music. And then they go into this area and it goes quiet. So they start walking around and they knock these bookshelves over of all these like documents and they block the door. So the general is actually caught up at this point with some soldiers and they say, go round, go round. And Bond is looking around and he sees a load of tanks outside the window 
And at this point, the guards break in downstairs underneath where they're standing. So it's like two layers. So Bond and Natalia are hiding. It's still quiet. Uh, I think Natalia accidentally hits some files and they drop. So they notice where they are and they start shooting. So Bond starts sprinting across and they're shooting at him. And we get the Bond theme quickly starts kicking in. It doesn't fully go in, but we start hearing a more traditional version of the Bond theme here. So Bond shoots back at them, kills some of the guards, and more guards are running. At this point, Bond gets to the window and takes off his belt. And this is like the belt that Q gave him that can support his weight. Q actually made the point to Bond saying like this can only support one person's weight. And that's what it's been tested on. It can't support two. So at this moment, Bond's preparing the belt. But I'm assuming he's supposed to be thinking about how am I going to do this? But at that moment, Natalia cowers from the shooting and the grate below her drops and she just like lands in the soldiers and is captured. So that solves that problem. <laughs> it, it's such a, st- I did notice that. I did notice that because I even put down like what, that's lucky that she fell because <laughs> it's strange that the film would bring that up, but then not need to really address it. Or is that kind of the point of it? I don't know. I think that's meant to be the point, but I don't think it's super clear. Like I think when they wrote it and put it together, the whole point was supposed to be Bond maybe more thinking about how am I going to get out of this one, but then she gets captured and it's almost a bit of a joke, but I don't think they present it that way. I think maybe in editing they decided to tone that stuff down so it doesn't quite read that way. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so she's been captured, so then Bond uses the belt to like swing across the room and smashes through the window in a very dramatic fashion and lands on the back of like a jeep where it's like been covered one of those sort of trucks so he's now managed to escape from the guards so this was very exciting i mean we're we're still not onto the proper big part of it but yeah i'll just say once again sorry john glenn uh not to slag you off again but i think even this scene all the people all the music all the shooting all this area how it goes quiet sometimes but then it goes loud again they sneak in the bond theme but they don't go all in it's all yeah it's just all the stuff we've said before about this film it's just very exciting and it's much more interesting to to look at and that just kind of elevates a lot of this stuff uh, that the john Glenn era just didn't oh john glenn just can't catch a break, can he? he? Not from us. He really can't. Which is sad because uh, I really liked A Few to a Kill. So it's like, it's not that yeah. his style doesn't work, but when you've seen five of his films and now we're in a different style, which is so much more exciting and interesting to look at, it's like, ah, that's nice. Yeah. I think, weirdly, I don't really have much to say about this scene before the tank stuff, mainly because I think it's because it is just very good. And like, it's just very well, it's very well uh, edited and paced. And I'm sure this, the music's really good. I'll need to give it a re-listen clearly. Um, But yeah, I think because it's all very solid, it's just, I was just there at this point, just watching and enjoying the film. Yeah, (laughs) this is definitely one of those where I wish I wasn't taking notes so I could just like, yeah, just see Bond shooting a load of guards. Again, he's up against it. He's very outnumbered, very like lost in the middle of... I, I'm assuming this is St. Petersburg again. I'm not too sure. Mm. Um, but he's very lost in it, but he's still finding a way in a very bombastic way. And uh, bombastic is definitely the word, especially for what comes next. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So outside the window, Bond has landed in this sort of train... Uh, train? Uh, tank, rather. Tank yard 
full of, full of loads of tanks. He spotted them earlier. And he does uh, spot that Natalia is being taken in a car with Oromov driving off in a black car. Uh, so you kind of get this little shot of him looking over to a tank and then you connect the dots and you, you cut back outside of this uh, facility where the car's driving off. There's this big wall in the background. And then yeah, sorry. Some... Like, so the car, that's the car with General Oromov and Natalia, right? Yeah. They've quickly jumped in the car and escaped to, and they're just going crazy down the streets. Oh, yeah, they're, they're gunning it. Um, and so, yeah, you've got this big wall. Where's Bond? And then the whole wall just completely crashes through. There's a tank and the Bond uh, theme kind of swells. It's a proper Bond moment. Like if this was a video game, that would be the Bond moment. You get a ching little Bond moment there. Because, um, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's got into a tank and he's chasing him. <laughs> in a tank. Cha-ching, yeah. I don't know. Classic don't... Bond moment thing. Cha-ching. <laughs> Cha-ching. Booyah. <laughs> Bond moment. So this is basically the, the vehicle chase uh, of the film, except instead of being in a swanky Aston Martin or BMW, uh, which is still sitting somewhere, I don't know, um, he's in a tank uh, through the streets of St. Petersburg. Now, I can't really tell you the ins and outs of what happens in this chase, because to me... Not much actually happens. I could have missed some bits. There's a lot of destruction. A lot of Bond chasing this car and it goes through kind of tight roads and alleyways and and Bond just careers straight through it in the tank and the whole building just crumbles around him. Um, and maybe like every now and then he might skid around. And I know at one point you do have, even with this film, they can't quite escape uh, like incompetent drivers around them. I mean, it's not America. It's usually American like cops <laughs> fulfill this role. But yeah, you have like the Russian troops spilling out and uh, diving into the the river nearby in in their uh, in their jeep, stuff like that. Um, and at one point, Bond like crashes through a big Perrier truck, which I guess was a sponsor uh, or like a you know some paid advertisement there um, in the in the streets. And I guess a standout bit for this is as he's chasing uh, Oromov and Natalia in the car, who I just know you're going to say about this one part where Oromov just has a, like, he just gets his flask and just has a quick swig as he's watching Bond chase him in the tank. It's, it's not uh, just once. He does it like three times. He needs it. Um, yeah, the bit that stands out to me is the where he is uh, Bond in the tank, um, crashes through a, a statue. It's like a statue of a, a horse, someone on a horse. Or a winged horse, maybe. Yeah, it's like a Pegasus situation. Yeah, and and whilst the base of the statue crumbles, the top of it kind of perches on top of the tank. So he's driving around for a while with this big statue on on top, and he's being chased, obviously. And so the the statue he drives under this kind of connecting bridge. It's like an actually. arch between buildings, right? Is it an arch? Yeah, and the statue kind of gets wedged in the windows of this this arch so the tank carries on and then it just so happens perfect timing the statue falls down and crushes the chasing vehicles behind him oh so good but um yeah honestly i it's it's kind of a testament to it that i don't really have much to say about this scene like as in it doesn't really rely on as many bits as previous vehicle chases for like previous ones i've always had uh you know bond the car will flip or Bond will get help from the locals or um, 
something like that. Or, or gadgets, obviously, a lot more reliance on gadgets. Whereas this is just a chase through the streets of St. Petersburg, lots of destruction. But it's still good. Like, it's, it's simple, but it all still works. So I'll start with the negatives first from okay. my side. I don't like the statue thing. Do you not? To me, it's too stupid. Like, mm. I, like I guess it's kind of fun having the visual of this statue on top of the tank. But when it drops, because when it drops, it lands on two cars and they play like a little magical music cue there. It's like a diddling and oh, it's okay. stupid. <laughs> stupid. All right. But every I don't like any of that stuff. But everything else is a ton of fun. I love the power shift here where Bond is initially captured and having to escape, but manages to shift that to just having a tank. And there's so much like brick and mortar being destroyed as he goes through and seeing that be everywhere is so enjoyable and fun and satisfying. And I think this is one of the times where the cars being stupid do does work because they're going up against a tank. Like they've got nothing. And just seeing this power, power dynamic shift with Bond and, there's there's humor here but there's no like french man being like my tank you've stolen my tank (laughs) they don't really rely (laughs) on what's missing yeah i know next time but yeah they don't rely on the civilians or anything it's more just like comedy from the destruction and just the concept of a tank smashing through the street of st petersburg there's no pigeons or there's no people reacting to there's no there's no like wedding that bomb then drives through there's nothing stupid like that it's it's comedic but also cool uh, they they kind of do that line quite well where there's clear kind of jokes and i think having the general sweaty drinking and having him drive like a madman again it's that power shift and it's just the perfect use of the bond theme bond driving a tank like this like, of course he would that's just it's just a ton of fun and i wouldn't say it's like my favorite part of the film to be honest i think some people might say it is i i still really like it but yeah, ton of fun, great visuals, great mix between action and comedy. Didn't really like the statue stuff. And it kind of ends with a police car driving into him, of which... And oh, just the visual of Bond poking his head out of the tank is great. And straightening his tie at one point. Yeah, that's know. the thing. It ends with the like the car crashing into him and he looks back and then straightens his tie and continues with the tank. It's just so much fun. And just those little moments they add in. They do it here with the tie straightening and it's just, it's what elevates Bond over other films, those little moments. So yeah, so much fun. Great stuff. I think this scene is fun. I would agree. I agree. So eventually uh, Oromov and Natalia in that car, they sort of get away to an extent, um, although not that far because Bond, well, we see them get out of the car um, at some sort of train depot. Um, this really cool-looking armoured train, like this big, black, very angular train. I guess it's a, yeah, like a missile train. Um, and they're, they're going on to that. Um, but then in the background, you do see Bond <laughs> being sneaky with a tank, I guess. Mm. Uh, kind of just peering into view and, and looking uh, uh, at what they're doing and, and can see that they're heading onto a train. Um, so I <laughs> don't know how loud that would have been, but... Hey, it worked. It worked. Um, And then we do see on the train itself, Alec is there. 006, Alec, Yanis, everyone call him. Uh, He's on this very fancy looking like train car inside. It's all very ornate, uh, very opposite, like completely different to how it looks from the outside. 
uh, and Oromov is there, who basically tells him that they got Natalia, but uh, Alec asks if Bond is still alive. And I, I like how Oromov basically laughs as he says yes, like he can't quite believe it himself um, that Bond is still alive and he finds it a little bit funny. Uh, although I think Alex says, oh, what does he say? You all know the uh, quote here. He says, good for Bond, bad for you. That's it. I just, yeah, I'll just go to you when I can't remember the line. Um, <laughs> but then when Natalia does come in to uh, this this train car, he starts to sort of get all creepy and, and like force himself on her because he's, he's kind of channeling. This is where you sort of get the idea that he's a Bond wannabe, you know, he, he obviously worked with Bond, he was a double O agent, and he's not anymore, but he still thinks of himself as, as that sort of person, always getting the girl, because he, he tries, uh, he tries to, like, forcefully kiss her, and, and say, uh, I can't remember the line here, he says, but about sharing, like, the spoils of war and things, it's just really, ew, like, it's a proper, it, this is the stuff, not so much the silly voice he puts on, but this is the stuff that actually makes him seem like a nasty villain is when he's doing creepy stuff like this. Um, but all whilst this is happening, Bond uh, has basically followed the tracks and got ahead of the train in his tank and perched it in a tunnel, the tunnel that they're heading into, kind of hidden in the darkness uh, of, of this uh, tunnel. And, um, and back on the train, I think driver spots that something is ahead of them. Uh, they seem to have a very, I guess it is a missile train, so it's going to be high tech, but yeah, that's like a camera that's looking in front and, and tracks that there's something blocking the the route. So uh, Alec knows it's Bond, um, who, who at this point has escaped the tank, I should say, or is about to anyway. Um, and no, he instead ha- of, he, he's still in the tank. He jumps out at the last second, right? Uh, or he fires the tank, so he has to be in it. <laughs> oh, right, yeah, yeah. So instead of saying stop or try and break, I don't think they have enough time to break. Alec just says, "Go, go full speed, basically Ram crash him. into it, ram, ram him." him. Um, and as he does that, that's when Bond, yeah, he shoots, uh, shoots the, the train with the tank, and then you you get this really cool looking train. It's now suddenly alight and looking even cooler. <laughs> it's like this flaming train as it careers into the um, into the tank. And one little thing I noticed is that as because uh, Honor Top's here on this train as well. Um, as they're looking at the screen and seeing what Bond's done, she looks impressed. Like, she smiles at this. She's like, she really is. She'll just take pleasure in anything to do with death, even if it's her own, by the sounds of it. Because, yeah, she's like, oh, wow. Um, if you actually watch her face. But, yeah, the train is flaming, careers into the tank, uh, which causes it to derail and knock everyone to the ground. And that's when... I think that's when uh, Alec kind of comes to and, and sees, oh, no, did he go to go grab, grab a gun? And then there's a Bond puts his foot on his hand or something like that. Yep, that's the one. That's the one, yeah. And um, But yeah, Bond's entered the train. And, oh, am I, oh my God, I just looked at what my notes say here. <laughs> right, what, what did, can you give me the context of this quote? Tastes like strawberries. I think that's just because she he forced a kiss on her before. So I think that's it. But how does he go how does he say that? Like where does that that's what I mean, like where does that come from? Oh, it's just like oh I've I don't know, because well Bond's like where's Natalia? 
and uh, I think Alex is saying, "Oh yeah, I've I've tasted her or something," and Bond or like, doesn't she taste nice? And I think Bond's like, "I wouldn't know." Then I think Alex's like, "Yeah, she tastes like strawberries." <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, this character is such so cringy sometimes. Yeah, because I put on the on notes here, it says "tastes like strawberries," and then you're right. Bond says, uh, "I wouldn't know," and then Alex goes, "I would." <laughs> so so smarmy. Mm. Yeah, well, I would. Mm, I did. I kissed her. Yeah, na, 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 na. take that. <laughs> it's really much that. No, 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 no. But yeah, so Bond's got his gun on uh, Alec, and to an extent on the top, who's behind him. Uh, but then Alec orders in Oromov, who has got his gun on Natalia, and basically says to Bond, "Who are you going to save, the girl or the mission?" Um, and this is where Bond starts to put on a bit of a bluff and say, you can kill the girl, I don't care. She means nothing to me. Um, she sort of kind of worries. You see Natalia looking a bit worried in the background, as you would. Uh, but as, um, like, is something counting down in this scene? Or is it just... What's yeah, the... there has to be. But I think I don't think that happens yet. Okay. I don't actually know what is the trigger for them for Bond to actually do the action i guess maybe they just so move. It's, yeah so alec and like uh on a top is like backing away kind of and he's kind of saying like oh, you can only save one of us so i think it's like alec is about to make his move but he nods at oromov to kill natalia and when bond sees the nod that's when he reacts right okay and he lets Natalia die. No, he doesn't really. Oh, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. He turns around and shoots Oromov uh, and lets, well, and gives Alec and Onotop a chance to escape. And they eventually head up, or they head to a, a different carriage and um, get into a helicopter. Like it opens up and there's a helicopter because uh, the the carriage that they're in basically locks down like all the window grates come down and over the over a radio i think alex is uh, alex alec is talking to bond and natalia and and basically says that the place is rigged to blow for 6 minutes although it's not really 6 minutes the same 6 minutes you gave me he says implying it's actually 3 minutes um but whilst this is happening so bond's trying to find an escape out of this train ripping up the carpet trying to look at the escape hatch uh, Natalia jumps on a computer because she sees that I think she can connect to Boris, uh, who's on another computer, and then she can spike him and track him, like we saw earlier on with the back in Seven Aya. So she is doing that as Bond is using his laser watch. The laser watch is here, everyone. There um, it is. There it is, and he's sort of yeah burning a a, a way out through the um, through the base of the train. And, you know, time is ticking. Um, Bond's sort of saying how many seconds we have left, asking Natalia to come, but she's still watching on this computer screen because it's doing the, the the map and she's working out where their kind of base of operation is, where this is all coming from. And, you know, it's going across the world, London, Spain, blah, blah, blah. And it eventually gets down to Cuba is the last place that she looks at before Bond just grabs her because the thing's going to explode. And he smashes out the the grate at the bottom and they make out the train just in time before it all goes up. Yeah. So, so going back a little bit, cause I think the most standout thing for me about this bit is about Alec and he, as you say, he turns into a creep and I don't really like it. 
it does kind of bring him down as a villain. I wouldn't say he's one of the better villains because of this stuff. I definitely like appreciate having extra scenes with Alec and kind of seeing him more as Giannis, but him just like licking a woman and telling Bond it's ah strawberries. It's just a bit much because before they were kind of putting them on level footing, but now I feel like there's been a little bit of a character assassination here where actually he's not like that, but I just don't think it was needed at all. You've already set it up very well. You've spent all the time. You've done all the hard part, all the tricky part. You've done well. We don't need him licking women and stuff. Like, don't, <laughs> don't lick on. women. <laughs> don't do that. It might be more fun to see like Alec and Onatop bouncing off each other or something. I just don't think you needed this, and I would have much preferred that that wasn't in it at all. Um, but it, it doesn't ruin the villain, but it definitely kind of stops him from being a top tier one because it's like, we get it, he's evil. We we get that he's evil. We don't need him being a big old creep as well. I It is creepy, but I think I quite like that. Um, Classic Joe. <laughs> Here we go. Now, I just, I, I like, as I say, I like the idea that he is, he's, jealous of I, i'm seeing like kind of the idea that he's jealous of bond to an extent still and there's 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 unfinished emotions there clearly i mean he's a psychotic villain but um i didn't mind it i i kind of liked what it implied about him even though the actual act of it is like yeah it's gross and whatever but i mean he is the baddie so i guess it depends like you to me i didn't really like him up until this point so I had nothing to lose. As soon as the, the women licking kicked in, Joe's like, oh, put your <laughs> glasses on properly. Okay, okay, all right. Hey, let's just rewind here. No. Yeah, let's take another look. <laughs> I do not like this. I do not like this characterization here. Yeah. This attack on my character here. <laughs> well, mm. <laughs> this podcast is over. Uh, uh, but yeah, also, yeah, f- fair enough. Um, but I guess that kind of ironically um, goes into about him being kind of two different types of villains that you could have. Oh. The Yanis thing comes back in, right? But you yeah. get two different versions of Alex, one which is Bond's equal and 006 and a highly trained, smart, intelligent guy who set all this up. And one is just a creepy dweeb who just thinks Bond is cool and wants to be him. So I think the main problem here is that you get both when maybe they should have just picked one and stuck with that. Yeah. Yeah, potentially. Uh, they've They've got a lot of duality in this film already so maybe they didn't need any more yeah overall this stuff on the train is very solid it's a train it's probably not the best train in the series just because they don't use it in the same way as the other ones right like this is just a missile train and there's no massive stunt on it it's more the train crashes and then bond gets trapped the train's not really moving when bond's on it um so it's not the best train but it's a cool looking train um but i need to give a moment for general oromov he's now dead that's oh. it and I still like the ending from him. He doesn't get a big character ending, but I don't think he really needed it. I like the idea that he kind of gets used by Alec and it's all about the moral choice from Bond where Alec puts him in a situation where it's like, if you could just shoot me right now, but if you shoot me right now, then Oromov will kill Natalia. So I kind of like Bond shooting Oromov in this situation. It's a little bit jarring because you can miss it. You can completely kind of miss that Oromov is now dead because of how quick it is. Mm. But there's a lot of different characters here, and I think they handle it way better than they, say, did with some of the John Glenn films where they're juggling all these different characters, because we do have Alec, Oromov, and Onatop. 
And normally on paper, I'd be like, whoa, guys, that's too many, like in the living daylight and stuff. But the fact that Oromov just gets these really good character moments, he's never the main villain, and then kind of just gets quickly killed, I think that works quite well. I'll miss him, but I think all this stuff <laughs> I'll miss works. Him. Uh, yeah, and there's one thing I forgot to mention as well, is that where Bond starts to explain to Oromov about Alex's uh, Cossack kind of... Uh, heritage and and that yeah like even even then there's a little bit more to the character where he's coming to the realization that he has maybe not been betrayed but there is obviously some some things that he didn't know about alec in all of this so yeah good character yeah he'll be missed uh so so uh bond and natalia are now outside the train watching it burn and she's saying about yeah it's in cuba so i saw that it was in cuba so that's where they're located. The well, that's where Boris is. So that's probably where the other Golden Eye is. So he, she then also makes a joke, being like, "Do you explode every vehicle you get into?" Of which Bond is like, "Oh, it's standard operation procedure." And then Natalia says, "Oh yeah, we're going to have to go to Cuba." Of which Bond is like, "Hmm, you're not going to Cuba," but she's like, "Do you know how to disarm the weapon? Can you do that?" And he's kind of has to admit no and then there's like a little bit of flirting here which eventually leads to them kissing yeah this (laughs) do you have something you want to share with the class joe it's just a strange timing as well that's that's all i think it's strange timing but i think we are very far into this film and that's something kind of i won't go on about it too much but the pacing of this film is very different from other ones where this scene would be more like halfway through the film but we've got like one more sequence and we're done which I like, but it does also mean like, yeah, this is when they need to kiss because they need to be an item before the final uh, confrontation kicks off. True, yeah. Yeah, and I like Natalia as a character anyway. Um, I guess we haven't really spoken much about her, but I think her characterization is really good. You know, the romance may be a little bit forced, but I don't really mind that much because she doesn't suddenly just go old James. Like, she's still herself even after they get together. And I think that helps a ton. So I kind of buy a little bit more because she doesn't then just be... There's no character assassination because she's the Bond girl and they sleep together. She's still Natalia that we've seen throughout the film. And I think that really helps. Yeah. And and just the fact that they have devoted time to her. We've mentioned about how they've had these side-by-side plots for a little bit, cutting back and forth. And that would you know, be very rare to see that, especially so much attention given to uh, the Bond girl like that. And it... it really helps you actually feel that she is a an actual person and that's always a good start yeah start there guys (laughs) if you could start there that would be good yeah we'll build off that but so we fade to a beach and then we cut to bond and natalia in the bmw with the roof open driving and laughing and being a little coupley really and we see bond has the radar in his car go off the radar was mentioned by q all the way back in that scene. But yeah, there is a radar in the car. So that starts beeping off. And as Bond is driving down this road in like a, in the Caribbean, this is, it's very tropical. So he's driving down and they see a plane fly over and starts like landing in front of them as they're both driving. It seems very dangerous, but uh, eventually both the car and the plane stop and Jack of the CIA, Jack Wade gets out. Jack's back. And he's like, yo, Jimbo. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he then, 
gives him a bond of bag and saying, hey, I bought you a gift from T or Z or... And Bond's like, Q? It's like, yeah, that's the fella. How dare he? <laughs> yeah, I cut the disrespect. <laughs> oh. um, so Jack kind of explains, like, the CIA, you're going into Cuba. So the CIA has absolutely nothing to do with this, nothing officially. But then he also says, in terms of flying there, you've been cleared to enter, so you're okay. So they're officially, unofficially helping out. And then he notices Natalia. And they step aside briefly to talk, and Jack's like, Bond, asks Bond, like, did you check her out? And Bond's like, head to toe. Like, hmm, good. Mm. Um, but then Jack explains how this huge dish you're looking for, the huge radar dish, doesn't exist. Because the idea is that we saw the big radar dish before where the GoldenEye was, but for there to be a second golden eye there needs to be another huge dish and he's like that just simply doesn't exist we've looked at cuba there's nowhere it can be but you can go and look anyway so he says that bond if you need backup radio me and we'll send in the marines and at this point jack takes the bmw because they're exchanging vehicles bond is going to take the car jack is going to take the bmw bond's like don't push any of the buttons and he's like don't worry about it uh, and drives off and Anything else to say before we get into a very emotional, deep scene? Oh, God, this scene coming up. No, yeah, I think Jack Jack Wade's all right. I like him here. He's, he's, he, he is basically Felix, and I think he would have been quite a good Felix, actually. Yeah, I think so as well. Same chemistry we saw before, back and forth. It's nice to see him again, and yeah, nice back and forth here. So yeah. we then cut to Bond sitting alone on a beach, staring <laughs> out at the sea. Oh, uh, yeah. What is he wearing? Like a white, loose shirt? Yeah, yeah. It's very like tropical summer clothes, right? Yeah. So he's looking all sad. And then we get Natalia slowly approaching like a white bikini, which I don't know if that's meant to be a Doctor No reference or not. I think I might be reaching with that. Oh. Oh, like under the skirt thing she has. Yeah, Yeah, maybe. Yeah, she doesn't come out of the ocean, so it's not the same thing. But (laughs) I feel like this film does try and jam those references in maybe not super directly but again as the casino i got some doctor no vibes but the fact that bond on a beach with a girl in a bikini in a white bikini i'm like that's can't be a coincidence it was weird when she started singing underneath the mango tree so <laughs> i think that that was a bit much <laughs> i don't know why they dubbed sean's voice over her singing it as well but it worked <laughs> it was a bold choice but it worked oh yeah this scene yeah, so we get the sad music again, like Natalia's theme, which is more kind of sad. And Bond's there on a rock on the beach, sitting all looking all sad, big old sad eyes. And she sits down and they have sad eyes and they stare at each other. And she kind of says, he was a friend, now he's an enemy and now you must kill him. And she then gets upset. It's like, why is it always about the killing? So you could be a big hero? It's like, how can you be so cold? And Bond said, that's what keeps me alive. This, the mission and killing. And then she says, no, it's what keeps you alone. Which is a great line. But Bond then just kisses her, which she's not into. But then she just is. Yeah, (laughs) there you go. (laughs) So the, the, the next bit of this is them in bed, lying asleep. Like there's a fire and Natalia is next to him. And there's a little bit more kind of flirting. And Natalia will ask about... Oh, when you said you didn't mean anything to me on the train, did you mean it? And he's like, yep. (laughs) It's like, you always got to call their bluff, of which they kind of playfully fight a bit and kiss some more. So, 
yeah, I don't really mind the idea of Bond being a bit like sorrowful and kind of contemplating stuff, but this is so like silly. Bond sad on a beach with sad music playing and uh, <laughs> saying like, oh, isn't this a bit much? It's like, it's, I think they could have done this scene, but they kind of went a bit over the top with it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think they could have done this scene and especially given the story of this where it's, you know, a, a colleague of Bond and it's betrayal and revenge and all this sort of stuff. Definitely room for this sort of scene, but just not in the manner they've done where it is just kind of a bit whiplash effect of sad music on a beach now, especially after having Jack Wade. <laughs> and then he's all grinning and chirpy and then, oh, time to be sad. And I also don't really understand why uh, Natalia gets so mad. Like, she, he has to, like, there's... there's they're on a mission. Like, she knows what... I don't know. She just seems to get mad for no reason very quickly. Mm, I guess so. I think this is just her personality, though, a little bit. And I took it a little bit... And I don't think this is a strong explanation, is that she's seen so many people get murdered in front of her. She just wants the killing to stop. And that's what she's mad about. Yeah. Okay. I don't think that's, t- like, explained well enough, but I guess I think that's what she's kind of supposed to be doing. Like, you boys with toys always murdering, and the fact she's seen all her friends be shot down and killed has meant that she just wants that to end. Just kind of bad timing, isn't it, Talia, really? Like, you know, we're just about to go take out this bad guy, and you're bringing this up now. Come on. <laughs> so what, what do you want waited. from me? Like, what do, you want? Do, you, do you want me to not save this, the, the London, or, or what? Like, what do you want from me? Yeah. But I will, I will quickly say as well, though, we got a much better version of this scene in The Spy Who Loved Me with Anya and Bond. Oh, yeah. And I think if they could have replicated that here, that would have been much stronger. Obviously, they also ruined that scene by what happens afterwards. But the actual scene with Roger Moore where they <laughs> revealed about uh, Bond killing the actual, uh, her uh, partner, her boyfriend, whatever it was, that's kind of what this should have been. But instead, it's very over-the-top, dramatic, sad music, Bond on a beach. Yeah. Yeah. I just, Even if they just maybe toned down the sad music a bit, and then also just the way it was shot, where it's just Bond alone on the beach, I think that was just, yeah, coming on a bit too strong for what they were trying to do. But anyway, I guess I could, I could, I'll stop moaning about that. It wasn't even on screen for that long. It's fine. Yeah, definitely. It's very short. Like a lot of this stuff, very short, very well-paced. So that helps with a lot of this stuff. Hmm. So we then see the next day Bond and Natalia in the plane, the plane that Jack Wade landed in, and they they switched. So they're now flying over Cuba to try and find this uh, radar dish, this huge dish that apparently is not on any maps, and the CIA can't find it, but it should be here somewhere. So they're looking looking around. They've got their binoculars out. Um, They can't see anything. Uh, they at one point they're going over this kind of really big looking lake uh, underneath and at this point Bond says we'll do a, another pass back around uh, and as they do that and they turn around this missile uh, is shot out from the lake and hits the plane and hits sort of like the wing of the plane and causes them to start to crash land and as the plane's going down crashes into uh, a part of the forest um, down below and uh, Natalia is sort of knocked out a bit and Bond sort of comes to briefly and, and manages to grab her and 
brings her into um, this clearing in the forest where he then passes out. I guess the injuries got to him. So they're both knocked out on the ground and we kind of cut to almost like a Bond, well, it's a Bond POV shot of uh, the sky and it's very blurry. There's a helicopter coming into focus and someone coming down the helicopter, like abseiling down a rope above him. And that's when he sort of starts to come to. And it's on the top. She's mm. back for one last go. One and, last uh, squeeze. One last squeeze. Uh, so, yeah, she comes down and immediately just starts uh, attacking Bond. And now I think that's where she then says, uh, what was the thing you mentioned earlier that they keep like saying? this time the pleasure will be all mine. That's it, yeah. So she says that to him and um, they start fighting. And... Even Natalia, she gets up, she she has a go, she tries whacking uh, on a top with, with something and on a top grabs it in time and, and says, uh, wait your turn or something like that. Like, oh, okay. Um, and yeah, eventually in, in kind of the scramble of it all, Bond clips back on the rope that she came down on onto her belt and with a gun... Don't know where the gun came from. I guess they had a gun with them. I think, uh, yeah, I think she had a gun, maybe. Oh, she dropped the gun. With yeah. the gun, shoots the helicopter that she came in because the pilot is still up there flying. And this causes the helicopter to sort of start to crash. Uh, and with that, she gets, on a top, gets yanked with the rope and yanked through this sort of fork-shaped tree. And her body kind of goes in between the two branches and basically gets crushed to death. Uh, as the helicopter lands and explodes and um <laughs> and sorry it's this might be my favorite line of the film actually yeah. just just reading it just, so yeah you 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 see the shot like on a top there dead on the tree and then it kind of pans down and and there's bond and natalia and bond says she always did enjoy a good squeeze it's I just saw. such a good line it's perfect the way, it is. It's a perfect one-liner, that one. I think it's so good. The way the way he delivers it as well, it's so good. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was the end of Honor Top. She um I think that's quite a good that's quite a good henchman death, actually, as far as it goes. Not bad. Yeah, it's good a little line. bit of a, a tricky one because there's like I say, there was quite a lot of characters here, so they kind of just needed to get her out the way. Yeah. But I'm kinda glad they did. And we don't have it means we don't have to do this after the finale. <laughs> Oh, I think the best God, thing I can yeah. say about this is that this isn't like, and then Bond gets on a train and on a top's there. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> like there's none of that. So it's like, it's quite quick. It's kind of a little bit out of nowhere, but you know, her character has been pretty solid so far. She did disappear for a little bit, although she was on the train. So not entirely. So it's just like, yep, yeah, let's have one last moment with her. It's something that ties into her gimmick. It's, the fact that she kind of gets squeezed against the train and then Bond makes that line. It's all its all great stuff. It, it's maybe not the most like satisfying kind of arc that we've had from one of these characters, but it's all great stuff. Solid little way of wrapping this up and it means we can just kind of focus on the finale going forward. For sure, yeah. Uh, after this, we cut to the, the base. We see Alex's kind of headquarters where all this, the GoldenEye stuff is going on. Um, like the missile launch control and everything. And this place is huge. It's uh, It's got all these different levels and there's a lot of people there. Like he's got quite a big uh, employee base. I don't know what his pension scheme's like, but um, a lot of people working for him. I don't uh, think money's going to matter anymore after he does what he does. 
True. I'm just going to destroy uh, the currency. Don't worry about it, mate. No, it's fine. You're, you're, you're still, you'll still get your, um, you'll still get your salary somehow. Uh, but he's there, and he goes to see Boris, who is on one of the computers, um, sorting out all the the Goldeneye missile stuff. Basically, asks him if if the satellite is ready to go, if the plan is ready to start getting into action, um, and then because it is, he says about opening the the dish. Uh, in preparation for it all which boris doesn't want to do at first but then he just says do it i don't know why boris was against it but um i don't think there's yeah. a real reason i think boris is just being a, his cocky self where he's like i i'm not ready no it's just boris being boris boris being boris uh so yeah the the lake basically is where the dish was and it starts to rise out of the lake um really cool model shots here I know we've talked before about some model shots just not selling scale very well. I'm thinking of Atlantis from The Spy Who Loved Me. You know, this is a lot later. Technology's got better. Model making, I'm sure, has got better. And the shots of this um, huge dish coming out of the water looked great. I thought it looked really solid. Mm, yeah, as you say, it comes down with the scale. And I think they really sell the water crashing down and they coming yeah. out of the water like the water feels like it's a huge body of water and i think that's the main thing that really sells it it's the way the water moved where you didn't really see that quite so much in the spy who loved me yeah and it's um should mention that this setting of this big radar dish was a real place i actually think it didn't it collapse a few years back oh i don't know i didn't know it was a real place but that's yeah cool. so the actual like when they're doing the big shots of it and, and whatever it was it's a real it was a real sort of observatory or i don't know what it was exactly but i think where it had been abandoned or neglected it collapsed a few years back so it kind of happened like <laughs> you know life imitates art to an extent um anyway so that's rising out of the lake and alec and boris um sort out doing the the kind of process to get the golden eye missile ready so you know with the orange gem looking thing and the keys and uh sorting out the targeting and alex says to set the targets to london is where he wants it to go um i think maybe whilst this was happening we, we did have some shots of bond and natalia i really can't remember but he eventually alec does eventually see them on camera because I, I think they're snooping around the dish as they see it come out of the water and yeah he tells his guards to go and, and kill him uh or kill both of them and that doesn't take very long actually they're they're like around the edge of the dish and looking in and everything and they start getting shot at by some of the guards that come out so they just go for it and um go down the or do they fall off no i think they they want to go down right because there's the the hole at the bottom yeah they want to go down but because they're shot at they're kind of like forced to and they right. start rolling yeah a little bit out of control as they slide down but even this I thought was filmed really well as they're like sliding down this uh, huge dish and kind of flipping everywhere and blurriness. It's, uh, yeah, does the job. I guess so. I actually didn't really like that bit. Did you not? <laughs> no, like you're right. It it sells it. It sells this like how disoriented they are spinning down this dish. But I kind of didn't really need that so much. And I think the noises are pretty bad. 
like you hear a lot of Piers Morrison be like, oof, 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 oh. <laughs> like you hear a lot of that. It's some pretty bad dubbing. <laughs> oh. Which kind of sucked me out of it a little bit. Again, it's such a small thing. It doesn't matter. But yeah, the, it's another one of those where like the noises were just kind of off, which is weird because nothing else is off in the film. But yeah, I didn't need Piers making those noises <laughs> as the camera is spinning as he falls down. I'd love to have those sort of sound clips in isolation. Like, all like the ADR dubbing of just all the hits and things. It's like, remember when they, they released that trailer for, was it the Mummy film? But they did it wrong and it only had some weird sound effects in it. Uh, it's just, I just want to hear Pierce Rosen going, ooh, ah, <laughs> Yeah, need a soundboard of Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, and Roger Moore, that'd be a great one. Oh, we need all of them. Oh, yeah. I think we already talked about having a Roger Moore soundboard at some point. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, actually. I think we're coming back on ourselves a bit. So, yeah, so they're all arming the weapon. Alec and Boris is all arming the weapon. They're going through the same process they did before. We see London on the map. But Bond and Natalia have now rolled all the way to the bottom of the dish, which has a little hatch that allows them to enter. So they enter the base and all the alarms are going off, I believe, because they saw them on the cameras. So they know they're here. And Natalia mentions about a mainframe computer. So Bond runs off from her he just straight away starts shooting the guards. I think he kind of wants to create a big distraction here. So Natalia leaves and goes down a ladder to go and work on a computer and Bond starts shooting. And Bond is then, there's these like big canisters which have these like red liquid in, we find out. And Bond sets up these very cartoony looking mines. Mm. Maybe it's just because I play the game and I associate these <laughs> mines more with the game, but they looked very silly. Um, I think it might be the game connection. All right, there. it probably is the game. I think, yeah, it but might they've be got there, like yeah. six blinking red lights on them. But, but gotta yeah. have the lights. Yeah, yeah, it's just true. So he then sets them up, and also, I want to confirm I have this right. I believe these mines are what Jack gave Bond from Q in yes. the bag. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I, it's never explicitly said where Bond suddenly have these mines, and he has been handed a bag before, but. You could. That's another small thing you could miss. But yeah, so Bond sets up all these mines and soldiers are waiting for him. They surround him. So he throws his gun out and surrenders himself. And as he walks away, we get a shot of the mine that's beeping. It's been activated and a red liquid is leaking from the tanks. What is that red liquid? Is it red? I did not catch that it was red. I saw it as red. I'm sure it was red or like pink. I just assumed it was like fuel or something. It's I mean, it probably flammable. is fuel, but I always saw it as red, which is what confused me. I'm I'm curious now. I I feel like if it was red, I would have noticed, but I just assumed it was, or I thought it maybe was uh, like liquid nitrogen, as what we see later on. But no, I didn't. I didn't see it being red personally. Okay, all right, weird. I'll get that checked out then. Um, so, <laughs> Fact so check. yeah, so the, yeah, so Bond is then escorted to the center of this big room and at the same time we see natalia is sneaking into a different room on the side and is using the computer so bond is taken by the guards to alec and boris and alec alec is all like so where's the girl bond says nothing so the soldiers are then runs off to go and find them and alec starts looking through some of bond's things he he asks about q and he picks up the pen that bond had is like ah one of q's gadgets i see and he then looks at Bond's watch and he compares his watch to Bond's 
It's like, ah, oh, there's a new model. It's like, do I just press here, I assume? So he presses the button and that shuts off the remote mines. So the mines that Bond had going have now been disabled because he hit the on the hit hit the watch button. And at this point, Bond is then kind of explaining what Alex's plan is. He kind of figures it out, saying, You'll break into the Bank of England, transfer all the money across, and then use the Golden Eye EMP to EMP London to cover this all up. And then Bond gets a bit rude here, to be honest. It's a bit, a bit out of line. He's like, Oh, you're just a petty thief. That's all you are. This is just petty theft, of which Alec gets a bit annoyed at. But while this is happening, Natalia is found and is captured. But we see at the last second, she manages to encrypt something. There's some sort of encryption going on in progress she was able to do, but she's been taken away and captured now. So Alec explains that EMPing London's not just about the money, he's also going to destroy everything. And it will send the UK into a new Stone Age because its capital will be completely destroyed and all records of everything will be gone. And Bond then kind of mocks Alec a little bit for this. I can't remember what he says. But then Alec kind of retaliates about saying, does your Falca Martini hide all the screams of all the men you killed? Oh, damn. Whoa, Alec, hang on. Easy now. Yeah, and Natalia is there and Alec then kind of mentions about, has he told you about all all the women that he failed to protect in the past? Of which... Because Natalia then shows up, Boris is there. Uh, he might say hi or something. He might be like, Natalia. But Natalia just charges him and smacks him and knocks him down. And it's funny because Alec lets it happen for a second before the guards finally pick her <laughs> up and take her away. <laughs> but, but Natalia gets to like hit Boris a little bit and knock him to the ground, which is funny. I mean, wouldn't you? It, it makes sense. Oh, yeah. I just think it's funny that Alec is like, yeah, Boris probably does deserve a little bit of a, <laughs> a, little yeah. bit of a slap. Oh, yeah. Um, and Boris is very annoyed, but because he's been knocked down and he gets back up, he ends up grabbing Bond's pen because it was on the side. And he points the pen at Natalia and is like, don't ever do that again. And Boris goes to give her a slap, which Alec stops her and says like, hey, she had access to the mainframe. Like, what did she do? And Boris is like, she's a second level programmer. She's nothing. She doesn't even have the access codes. And at that point, an alarm goes off and she starts smiling. smiling. And you see on the screen that the retro rockets are firing. God knows what that means. Uh, but we find <laughs> out from... Like, what are the retro rockets? What are those? I... I do recall hearing that. I think retro rockets are basically the rockets that face the other direction. Right. So they, so like if you, if a rocket was going forward and then you want it to go backwards, you would fire the retro rockets. I see. Cause I think this might go into the, like the navigation, because I think she said, he says like, Oh, you're just part of navigation. So I'm guessing she uses her navigation knowledge oh, to do that. Oh, I missed that line, but yeah, that would make sense. I like that. Yeah, I think that's what it is. But So Boris is then stressing and he starts working on the computer to try and fix it because the rocket is go- it's the satellite's going to burn up over Earth because of what she's done. So he's spinning the pen, clicking it multiple times. Now, Q explained to Bond, I'm not sure if we covered this properly, but if you click the pen three times, it arms it to explode. 
but you can click it three more times to disarm it. So Bond is staring at the pen as Boris is working as like this nervous twitch to kind of help him concentrate, spinning the pen and clicking it. And we see Boris is staring at it and trying to keep track of it. So it's all getting quite tense. Boris is not able to fix it. And Alec then threatens Bond with a gun, saying, I'll shoot him if you don't tell me what the codes are to fix it. And she says, oh, go ahead. He means nothing to me in the same way Bond did to her earlier. So Boris is like, don't worry about it. I got this, bro. I can fix these codes. So Boris goes back to working and clicking the pen. Everyone's waiting, still getting tense. And eventually Boris gets very mad and screams at her. And he's like, give me the codes, give me the codes. And at this point, Bond takes this opportunity to knock the pen. It goes flying towards the the red or not red liquid. And it explodes <laughs> and it sets them sets them all off and quite a lot to unpack here, I, I suppose. But I guess the main takeaway is Bond and this pen. And it's such a cool twist on this on a gadget where normally Bond would use the gadget in a certain situation and that's that. But to have this like clicking aspect to it where Bond has to keep track of it because somebody else is going to use it, it's like that's awesome. That's such a, a cool way to make this a lot more interesting and a lot more tense as we go through the scene. Yeah, it's a very smart choice to have a gadget that has such a, first of all, like the sound of it, but also, yeah, the action of it. And it's such an obvious thing to show on screen. And when you're seeing Boris use it and clicking it once, clicking it twice and that, it's it's more than just a, a gadget that you, you know, Bond presses a few buttons or or it doesn't do anything like it just it just works it's a clever way of kind of keeping the tension on screen and stringing it along for a bit so and it's just a pen just a <laughs> it's pen just, it's just a pen well done Q it's not that good thing Bond didn't bring the sandwich it was close <laughs> now if you tug at the ham three times <laughs> <laughs> watch out for the mayo that's not hmm. <laughs> That's not mayo. <laughs> no. But there's also another quick point I want to make because I, we said about the line about Alec about does the Fokker Martina hide or the screams of the men you killed. You get quite a few lines similar to that where there's a lot of mocking of Bond and the history of it and all mm. tied into Bond being that sexist dinosaur. So there's a little bit of mocking there. It's not something I really focus on that much for the film. And I don't think it's a... But it, like every now and then you get those lines and it does somewhat feel like the writers were very proud of themselves and it kind of came across maybe from the original version of this film and this script where it was supposed to be more of a damning thing against Bond and his ways. Um, so every now and then you get lines like that. They're not bad lines, but they do kind of stick out a bit as in I think the writer was more proud of it then. Uh, and that's, so that's why it's here rather than necessarily like serving the film as a whole. Yeah, I think good in, good ideas... I just think maybe, I mean, especially at this point in the film where there's not that much time left and those sort of topics, they're, they're quite big topics in the grand scheme of the Bond character, getting into, you know, that level of his personality, probably just not the right time for it. If you're going to do something like that, you have to really go all in, which is kind of what they did closer to the Daniel Craig films. Yeah, it's kind of dropping those seeds that Daniel Craig's films kind of went more and all in with. Not necessarily that they did it 10 times better, but... Yeah, they they really wanted to deconstruct Bond 
And this is the only time where it gets a bit confused. But again, very small part of the film. And the lines themselves are not bad. It just kind of gets completely lost in everything else that's going on. Yeah. So as the pen explodes and ignites the mystery liquid, uh, the whole place starts to go up in explosions and start to uh, just be destroyed. And that's where Bond and, and Natalia can make their break for it. And um, so they, they kind of get away as everyone else is panicking and they quickly talk to each other about the situation and, and the, the GoldenEye missile. And Bond asks whether uh, Boris could break the encryption that Natalia did. And she said, maybe. Um, so the only way to really guarantee stopping this missile going off is to destroy the transmitter, which is the thing at the very top of the radar dish. Of course it is. Um, so yeah, then that's why Bond now needs to head up there. And I think he does... I think he gives her a gun, but does he tell... Oh, no, sorry, I'm getting mixed up. I was about to, Does he tell her to wait there? But that was earlier on he told her to wait there and she didn't listen. Um, yeah, so Bond Bond is going to the transmitter um, and Alec... I think Alec... You, know, you might have to take <laughs> I actually can't remember what <laughs> happens. Know. I'm struggling here. I'm looking at my own notes and I can't make head nor tail of it. Okay, yeah, so I guess... It- Try and quickly recap. The base is now starting to explode. Bon and Natalia have gone in a lift, so they're kind of heading towards the antenna because they were inside the base, but this big radar dish is the lake, but there's like a big antenna in the middle. So their kind of plan is that Bond is going to go and interfere with the antenna. And then I think Bond gives her a gun and he's like, do you know how to use one of these? And she cocks and loads it and she's like, yeah. So like, okay, cool. I, I think that's a nice little moment. So Bond just runs off and starts running towards the antenna in the middle, and we see Alec inside the base, because the base hasn't exploded in fully, which is surprising. Just a little explosion. Just a few explosions. Um, This has not triggered a huge like collapse of the base yet. There's just some people have died, there's some fires, but Boris is still working on the computer to try and fix what Natalia did before. So Alec says, can you fix it? And he's like, I can, I can. But Alec then gives a or gets a guard over and says, if he moves, kill him. So he points the gun at Boris. <laughs> and then oh. Boris looks a bit nervous and then gets back to work. That is a very dedicated worker right there, isn't it? Yeah. I mean the whole place you just saw a massive explosion, quite an evil plan. He's still gonna he's still gonna follow orders. Yeah, good guy. Yeah. Are you are you caught up yet? <laughs> Um, I think so. It was that bit. I kind of forgot when Alec did that bit with Boris. But okay, so after this point is when Alec then starts to chase Bond and he gets in his little cable car. So yeah, Bond is running along all of these um, kind of elevated walkways um, above the the radar dish. And Alec uses his little, uh, what are they called? Cable car, I already said it, like a little cable car that goes up um, alongside Bond. And he has a gun so he can start shooting at him. and Bond shoots back a bit. And eventually uh, Bond makes it to this room that has basically all of the um, the gears and like the, the chains for how this gigantic radar dish moves. Uh, and whilst he's in there, Alec uh, kind of jumps in and they have a little bit of a, a tussle <laughs> together. Although tussle, I think yeah. Bond, yeah, Bond just sort of lobs him down some stairs and also spots um, like a metal rod, and he grabs that and sticks that in the chain to this uh, this big 
mechanism. So hopefully try and jam it. And also at this point, Natalia, uh, she's been given a gun and she also just happens to find a helicopter. Or she spots it anyway. Doesn't do anything yet, but we just see that she she sees it. Yeah, so I think I missed that bit off a little bit where the whole point is that Bond is going to stop the antenna because Natalia is like, Boris can probably just crack my codes. So if we leave him to it, he will crack the codes and it will go ahead. So you need to sabotage the antenna to actually stop it for good. Yeah. Uh, so then back with Alex, I keep saying Alex, Alec and Bond. Um, I think they've made their way further up, I guess, if they're, if they're heading to the transmitter, the antenna. Um, and they're in this another little room where Bond's in it and looking around with his gun and, and Alec drops down from above him. And we get, this is more than a tussle now. This is actually a proper little fight scene here. Uh, and it's a good one. Like uh, We've said so many times about fight scenes being a bit weak. And I think we finally get a, a uh, there's nothing crazy to this one, but there is. it's just filmed really well. And there's actual kind of force behind it and a bit of weight and impact with it all as they're thrown around the room. And I think it also helps that it's two young people doing this, which is not always the way we've seen these sort of fight scenes. Yeah, it's not karate chops and just throwing guys comically. It's actually two men beating the crap out of each other. You know, not martial arts or anything, but just punching and throwing stuff. It's, It's very kinetic like that. So apparently Martin Campbell, the director, was inspired by From Russia With Love. Oh, and that okay. fight scene, which is why it's actually in a very enclosed space. So they've somehow, even though they're on this like antenna stuff, they've found this like small room and are just kind of very close to each other. And they do some of the cliche stuff of like, oh, there's a gun and they keep going for it. But it's just very well put together. It's just these two beating each other up and you kind of feel it quite a lot. And because they're quite similar and they have the history, it feels very earned as well and the fact that they're quite even i think is very cool so yeah definitely one of the better ones we've seen in a long while and i think it makes for a very satisfying end or it it makes sense you would have this just 006 and 007 just fighting each other in this one-on-one fist fight it's uh it's exactly how you kind of want this to go yeah you you, after setting this up you need this resolution where i mean there is still a bit more to it but you also just need them with a bit of hand-to-hand combat i feel like um just to complete the sort of arc of this. Uh, but yeah, so eventually uh, Alec grabs the gun and points it at Bond, who is kind of up against uh, a ladder in, in the middle of this room. And Alec uses this opportunity as a bit of a chance to gloat, as he's, <laughs> of course he does, as he's pointing the gun at Bond. And he says like, you know, James, I, I was always better. <laughs> uh, and as he says that, uh, Bond like kicks this latch on the floor which uh, causes this ladder to... It's like an escape ladder, I suppose, and it all kind of collapses down this ladder, so he uh, flies out of scene on this on this ladder going downwards. And once he's down there, obviously it kind of slams down, so it, the force of it is kind of left him clinging on um, to the, the bottom rung of the ladder, uh, which Alex sees. And I put in my notes here, dodgy green screen. I don't know if that actually happens right now, but... In some of these shots where they are meant to now be hanging off the top of this gigantic radar dish, it it kind of surprised me because I thought this was surely a bit that they would have down now. Like they they would they would know how to do all these green screen green screen compositing shots. But with this scene, as uh, Alec then like makes his way also down to 
where Bond is, some bits just didn't look good. Mm, yeah, I mean, overall, I bought it, so I can't really think of any particular shots that were bad, but you are right, there are scenes here and there where certain shots look a bit off, but I, I was just... I was all in on this, so <laughs> I was really I mean, a bit blinded, but I I can totally believe that some of it might have not looked great. Yeah, I don't know. I think I shouldn't really focus too much. It is it is the ending of the film. It's the big battle now. Um, so yeah, Alex has made his way down to uh, the the ladder underneath, and Bond's climbing up it. And then at, at one point, like Alex just looks down and then does a little slide instead, <laughs> which I quite like to like, knock Bond off um, as he's climbing up. So. They're now both like pretty much at the very bottom of this uh, this antenna section now. And I think Natalia also at this point has kind of spotted some of this going on. And so I don't know how, you, you might have to correct me here, but like she gets into the helicopter or at least there's a, there's a pilot in the helicopter. So does she take him hostage to do that or was he doing it? Yeah, anyway? so we saw it earlier that she has gotten into the helicopter and has the gun. I don't know if that means like she straight away pointed the gun or if she waited, but I don't think it matters too much. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Boris is still trying to do the uh, the codes as well. You get a very brief shot of him rattling his computer, which, believe me, I felt that way sometimes as well. Uh, as, <laughs> as, relatable. Yes, yeah, very relatable uh, as he's trying to break the or get the access codes or whatever he's trying to do. Um, Alec... Uh, crushes Bond's hand on the bottom ladder and so that he falls down now to the very bottom. I keep saying it's the bottom. This is now like the actual bottom where Bond is pretty much hanging on to this this little base bit and this um, cable. And I don't know why Alec chooses, well, I don't know why he comes down, but yeah, he comes down and tries to deal with Bond down there. And I think Bond does this little sort of manoeuvre to basically flip him over i don't know how he does it well um, yeah i think well part of the reason he's able to do it is because alec has called in the helicopter himself before he went down the ladder he called the helicopter to come pick him up but as alec is kind of looking at bond hanging down he then looks at the helicopter sees natalia is distracted and then that gives the chance for bond to force his way back up and push alec on the other side ah uh, okay yeah so he he does he 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 pushes Alec off the ladder um well he doesn't quite fall all the way down he's grabbing onto him by his foot and I'll leave you for the line oh yeah so Bond is holding Alec and Alec looks up and says for England James and Bond replies no for me and legs go of Alec and then he Mike drops and lands at the bottom <laughs> I say mic drop, Alec drop. Alec drop <laughs> is more accurate. Drop the Alec. <laughs> Although he doesn't die from the fall, you know. It's a tough old cookie. Yeah. Uh, he just gets yeah, mangled. It's a bit, bit odd, that. <laughs> His leg just gets proper twisted up, basically. <laughs> it, it's, yeah. Yeah. So I will say I love this scene. I think it's fantastic. I love the fight. I love them going down. I love the cockiness from Alec. I love that Bond's on the back foot, but he's able to kind of like come back. I love the poetic justice there of Alec accusing Bond of letting all the women die, but then it's Natalia saving Bond with the distraction and getting the helicopter. Uh, yeah. So it's Bond overcoming that and 
help and sit because he saved her earlier is what means that he wins. Um, and also, I you know, the line's fantastic because we've heard them say for England to each other, but now it's personal. So he says no for me and drops him. It's just perfect. I don't like that Alec doesn't die when he lands, but I guess I kind of get it. But it, it still would have been better if um, that was kind of that and that killed him. But I kind of get it. But yeah, this is just such a satisfying, great scene. And we get the same amazing music we got before that I complimented in the archives. Uh, we get that again, which I just love. Love that theme. Yeah, it is a very solid Bond versus the villain end. They've not always been great, but when they are great, they they really they really hit the spot. Um, and although, yeah, as you say, he doesn't die, but then the bomb, uh, basically Boris didn't do it in time, so the GoldenEye missile burns up in the atmosphere. Um, and I guess because the the gear stuff that Bond did jamming it also causes it to explode or is it because of the missile why does it start exploding no there's no missile i i think it's well maybe it is actually i think it is because of the gear stuff it's got to be right it's got to be the gears right yeah so yeah that the the outcome of that is that the whole dish like the top part of it anyway starts to explode uh which means that bond very quickly jumps onto the helicopter um, like onto the the landing rails of the helicopter and hangs on uh, as the transmitter gets destroyed and collapses. And that's what crushes Alec. And, he, and then he dies, finally. Yeah, I didn't like that bit. You get a very awkward shot of him screaming while lying on the bottom of the radar. And I don't know, I guess you could have done it, but it's a really awkward shot. I would have preferred him to just... I get it, being crushed by your own thing and... Maybe that's a little bit more satisfying, but you didn't need it. It's it looked a bit awkward. Yeah, I think I I'm with you. I think it could have just done with the fool. The fool is enough. It's a big fool. All right, I I, I wouldn't do too well. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of uh, <laughs> speaking of awkward, uh, so after everything is completely destroyed, so Bond has like got onto the helicopter and they're flown off. So now everything's been destroyed and everything's collapsed in the radar dish. And we see Boris poke his head out of the flaming wreckage somehow. What? And I don't I don't know how, but I guess if Alex could survive that fall, why not Boris? So Boris then looks around and is really happy with himself because he's the only one that survived. So he shouts, I am invincible! And does his pose. And because he shouts, that triggers some liquid nitrogen behind him to burst. And it freezes him in place completely. Which, I mean, it's funny enough that I like it. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's cool. Well, not cool, but I like it. Yeah, Boris needed some comeuppance, I suppose. Uh, And he got it. He he got it, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, it's very quick. And the fact that it's his cockiness that kills him. You know, again, poetic irony and all that. Very quick moment of him just getting screwed over. And the fact is, the last one standing is kind of hilarious, just to screw himself over. It's very quick, but uh, very good. He really will be the last one standing as well. Yeah, because he can't. Because he's frozen. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so the, the helicopter uh. drops off Bond and Natalia on grass nearby, because the pilot is there. So I guess they just say, drop us off and get off. And Natalia asks if Bond's all right, because he's a bit sore, and they say they're kissing. And she's like, oh... No, someone might see us and I think Bond's like 
there's no one near in near here in 25 miles and as that happens we hear yo jimbo <laughs> oh no and jack wade wanders over and he was like ah oh, great job and all that and then they reveal lots of hidden marines in camouflage was actually surrounding them which they were really well hidden i'll give them that yeah you get a cool job. shot of seeing all of them stand up at the same time it's like oh cool there was like 10 people there that's quite neat um, so then Bond, like, they're laughing together, Bond and Natalia, they, Bond carries her off, and the helicopter takes off, and the camera stays still, and we see the helicopter disappear, and the credits roll, and we get this, like, really weird slow love song. I think it's called, like, The Experience of Love. Oh, yeah, that thing. It's Why kind do they of keep bad? doing this? Why do they keep putting these weird songs on the credits? I don't know, but this one seems like the worst one so far. It just doesn't match what we just saw in the slightest. Yeah, I don't know. Strange one. Yeah, and then James Bond will return at the end of the credits as normal, and, and that's Goldeneye. That's the film. That's the film. So I actually looked up who goes first. Oh, before. did you? Yeah, so it turns out you go first on the odd number episodes, and I go first on the even number episodes. Okay, what? Well, which one's it? Is this odd? So this is seventeen. Okay, so I'm going first. So All you're right. going first. Yeah. Well, considering how long we've been talking about Goldeneye, yeah, I'll, sucks. Boo. I'll keep, I'll keep this brief. <laughs> um, it's really good. I don't know if you got that from all the stuff we were saying during this podcast, but uh, yeah, it's it's just. I think it's probably better to say what I didn't like. And there's probably, that's one thing I didn't really like. And that is, as I mentioned, I didn't really love um, Sean Bean's portrayal of Alec. I liked the character itself. I just didn't like him as an actor doing it. Uh, But pretty much everything else apart from that, I can't really fault it. I mean, talk about like coming back from a, a, a potentially series ending franchise ending break with a vengeance like they just hit it out of the park with this so many factors of this was just so strong Pierce Brosnan was just I'm, I'm glad that Pierce Brosnan started now rather than when they thought he might have started with what Timothy Dalton did because this was such a strong foundation for him as Bond a really good script for him to work from uh, and he did it great um, well, I guess we'll talk about Pierce Brosnan as a Bond more kind of later on but yeah, I really, really liked it. And I think in terms of placement, in terms of ranking, I'm actually kind of pleased how much I liked it because it means that I can finally uh, sort out my Thunderball issue. Oh. Where, where for me, Thunderball is still at number five. And I listen, it's not, it's not bad, but I don't think it should be at number five. Um, so for that reason, I'm putting it at number five, I'm going to put it, uh, yeah, just above Thunderball, just below Moonraker. I was very tempted to put it above Moonraker, but then actually, I think I might need to move Moonraker in itself above The Spy Love Me. So, what? Wait, that's I, not what I expected to hear. <laughs> I, I just when I look at those two films now, I don't know. But for now, I'm still not moving anything else. I'm just going to slot it in at number five. I could, yeah, I, I would, I would have been shocked if you put it below Thunderball. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Although there's Moonraker, like, wow, okay. It's going to end up at number one by the time we finish. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I guess I'll try and keep it brief because, again, we've complimented and said so much about the film. To me, watching Goldeneye and ranking against the other film almost feels like cheating 
because I have this strong nostalgia and I think it's such a solid, enjoyable film. So I think I've kind of explained a lot of the reasons why Pierce Brosnan, I think is really, really great. I think the, the filmmaking is top tier better than anything we've seen. I think the storytelling is top tier. I think the characters are top tier. So much as that is top tier. So yeah, I kind of agree some of the stuff with Alec is off and some of this stuff towards the end of the film is not amazing. You know, this is a 130 minute film. It's still quite long. And overall, I think it fills the runtime much better than any other film before it. But there's still stuff that you could say was off. But everything else is so top tier. It's it's great. Like, it, it just everything works. The comedy works. The action works. It's really enjoyable. Yes, there's a scene or two here that doesn't work. And yes, some of the music is bad. Like, there's definitely still things I would criticize. But again, to me, with the nostalgia I have and the fact that it's GoldenEye, it feels like cheating. So it's an obvious one. This is number one. For me, <gasps> number one, I, I definitely would put it above from Russia with love. I don't think it's even remotely close. Um, and I'm glad I kind of rewatched this film and, and still enjoy it to this day. Um, I don't know if GoldenEye ends at number one overall. I wasn't convinced by it enough to say maybe it beats some of the other Daniel Craig films when we get there. But it's a ton of fun. It does so many things well. It's so smart in what it does. It's such a breath of fresh air compared to John Glenn. Just a really, really quality film. And if somebody was to ask me about what Bond film to start with, I would probably say GoldenEye. Either GoldenEye or Skyfall. I think it's such a great mix of old and new that I think it's like the perfect starting point for the franchise. And such a... Anyone should watch this film. Even if you don't care that much about Bond, it's such an enjoyable action film. It's great. It's just great. It's still great. It still holds up. Still really enjoyed it. Sure, things are off here and there. There's definitely stuff I could criticize, but it doesn't matter. It's number one, and that's where it deserves to be. You know, it just hit me that this film is nearly 30 years old. <laughs> yeah, 995. And But you're like it, it really does hold up. I would agree with you. This is such a great introduction for a, 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 like someone new to the Bond series because... I, you just can't go into like the spy who loved me for someone brand new no. as as iconic as it is it's just it's it's just too old like this is the right level of it has a bit of kind of retroness to it but it has all those core elements of bond and it's still polished enough to not turn people off of it so it is a, it is a really good it is a really good film yeah that mental hurdle that you might have with like a dog to know like obviously someone like us we would be like yes let's get retro let's watch this 60s film but if you didn't know bond you couldn't start there unless you were like someone who just liked those type like older films anyway but yeah it's such a good balance um mm. that it's and it stands on its own as well which is so good it's so good <laughs> so many things about it, it's just so good oh now i think if i should move it but i'm not going to don't, don't do this joe it's stuck it's staying there now don't have yeah. time for this <laughs> Who would move a film after ranking it? Who would do that? No one, I told you. Mm. 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 Okay, there we go. That's that's golden. I am glad you enjoyed it. I kind of was hoping it might go a bit higher, but you and your Moonraker, man, I don't think I can't separate those two. You with uh, yeah. that film, uh, they go hand in hand. But I do think if Moonraker didn't exist, there is a chance that you might have ranked it above the Spy Who Loved Me, Golden Eye. <laughs> I think so, actually. This is what I mean. I don't know. It's all a mess, to be honest with you. No, <laughs> We're 17 films in. It. Stick to it. I am. I'm going to stick to it. We've still got a load of episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not leaving. Don't worry. 
Well, this is when I think for me, this was all Goldeneye was always going to go number one, and watching it was just having a good time and confirming that. To me, the rest of the Pierce Brosnan era is where it gets very interesting. Yeah. Because I could roughly guess where these next one goes, Tomorrow Never Dies, but I don't know. I I honestly don't know. Goldeneye is the classic, and generally speaking, people say these films get worse as you go. But then what does that mean for Tomorrow Never Dies? The the follow-up, the second film, the one that's a little bit more forgotten, does that mean it's actually still pretty good, just com- fails to compare to Goldeneye? Or is it actually kind of not the best is it actually kind of one of the more forgettable bad ones i don't know but i'm i guess excited to find out it's gonna be number two for you oh that'll be good Mm, actually i've just remembered one of the characters is called stamper and i didn't like him (laughs) i don't i don't remember stamper i I remember some films of some things about it but i don't remember a stamper so that's yeah he sucked (laughs) but to to me, there's like a huge. When I look at my list, there's a huge range that this could exist. There's like a ten film wide gap it could go in. So, um, and the fact that it's less than two hours. Looking forward to next week. Hallelujah! <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> excited for that. Okay, so any last thoughts before we go, Joe? I think we should go play some Golden Nine Sixty Four, don't you? I do. It, that game still holds up. That's still pretty good. Everything about this holds up. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's blessed. All right, let's. I mean, it is past midnight, so I might go to bed first. But first thing. <laughs> first yeah, thing. that sounds good. Okay. All right. So thank you very much for listening. You have been listening to episode 17 of the Bond Revisited podcast. The Bond Revisited podcast will return next week for Tomorrow Never Dies. <laughs> <laughs>